Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's show was recorded on February the 21st, 2017. I'm your host, Gaming Psychologist. With me, as always, my trusty sidekick, Caffeine Rage. And a very, very special guest this week, Taylor Ray from the 1P vs. 2P podcast. Say hello, Taylor. Hey, glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Indeed. On today's show, we will be covering our wonderful guest. We'll be discussing the GameStop Circle of Life program. A Twitch streamer unfortunately dies during a 24-hour charity stream. Valve says modders absolutely need to be paid. We'll be discussing hype over substance, that is, games being sold by marketing rather than the merits of the game. We will, of course, be discussing the games we played, and if you notice, astute listener, that is out of order. We are accommodating the lovely Taylor's schedule. And then we'll have our weekly community corner. So, Taylor, you are our second guest. Uh, Aki yeah. counts. We kind of knew, knew Akinesis Gaming before, but... He counts. He's from another podcast. But you're our, like, first ever official, like, uh, what's the right word? Cold call onto the show. So, welcome. I feel so proud. No. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, I, I've listened to a couple of ep- episodes of yours um, so far, and I really do dig the whole in-depth talk you guys do when, when it comes to games you played recently. That's something that our show doesn't really cover that much. Our, our show is pretty much the the biggest news and then we touch on some history some music here and there but we don't really go too much in depth with games that we played recently uh we only really put that in as filler but i th- i think we should start getting into that considering that uh it's something that we all share in common all of us i'm sure your listeners are also the ones playing games too so it's worth talking about you know talking uh reviewing the games and oftentimes we just do that as reviews on our site but I think we should bring it back to our podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one thing you guys have over us is you have a site. And you've, you've yeah. been doing this for longer. You've got about a year on us, I think. You started in 2015, right? Early 2015? That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started in early 2016. So maybe someday we'll have a site. I don't know. That's a lot of work. I'm kind of lazy. It was well, a lot of work acting getting like it. You'll end up uh, doing it. That's true. You'd be the one who would do it. Well, well, it, it takes a little bit for it to get off the ground, and I think the the most time consuming part is promoting it, doing the whole social media stuff, sharing relevant articles on Facebook and Twitter, and that kind of thing. But I have my co host, who's also my brother Ryan Ray. He he's a writer by nature, and he comes up with all these ideas, writes these editorials. I go in and edit them. I do all the fluff in terms of adding adding the images and formatting. And, and we actually work pretty well in tandem. I, I come from a, a radio and broadcasting background, so I'm much more comfortable with the uh, hosting side of things and the audio engineering, the editing, that kind of thing. So we, we work pretty well um, together. It also helps that we grew up together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it helps instead of hindering. Uh, I, I told you I'm a therapist, so I see a lot of people who have uh, issues with their family members, so... I'm uh, I'm glad you guys have a good relationship. That's kind of an interesting thing that you do as a, Yeah, yeah, you, you that that's really interesting that you do that as a day job uh because you know, I it, it's so fun to hear 
other people who podcast who don't do it for full time. There are very few that actually, you know, do this as their primary source of income, if at all. Um, even YouTubers, and I know Rage, you you do that a little bit too. Um, yep. You know, that's that's ultimately the dream, right? <laughs> but so hard to do. But yeah, I, I find that interesting that that you still keep up gaming as as a side passion as a hobby, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that get me gets me through. Honestly, uh, I mean, I've told some sad stories on here, and I've got a lot more that aren't appropriate to tell. Uh, so I come home and I hug my kid and I kiss my wife and I play some games. And uh, you know, we do this for fun. I mean, we we earn enough money through Patreon to pay for our um, our podcast hosting, but we don't really make any money doing this. We just do it for fun. So. Hey, Patreon's not nothing. <laughs> we don't even have No, that. it's... Yeah, no, that's not nothing. <laughs> yeah, it is enough um, to pay so, the bills. Yeah. So uh, you you kind of answered the first question I was going to ask you uh, to kind of warm you up to our audience and let them know who you were, which was to you know tell a little bit about yourself. You kind of did that. Uh, why don't you talk just a minute or two about uh, about your podcast? I have to say, I want to keep calling it the one-player versus two-player <laughs> podcast instead of the 1P versus 2P podcast. That's always so frustrating for me to hear that, but it's your show, so you can call it what you want. One of my biggest regrets is actually um, coming up with the name of our own show because we quickly found out that it's very difficult to say and also implement um, across social media. Like there are some sites that will accept, um, you know, the, the digit one first and other sites that don't when it comes to things like URLs and naming our accounts and what have you. But I think for the most part, you, you get it, right? It, it is we, the original concept behind our show was to follow along the same formats of if you've ever heard, uh, seen or heard the podcast of the pardon the interruption on ESPN, which is two old curmudgeons arguing about, uh, the day's sports topics. Instead, we wanted to translate that into, right, that's the Cliff's Notes version, right? I'm um, not doing yeah. it justice. But we thought we were going to do something to that effect. In, in our first couple of episodes, we purposely took opposing views, even if we didn't necessarily agree with them. And it, and it sounded pretty contrived, in my opinion. But then we started getting into the groove of it, and we realized that people aren't necessarily... And, and it, for me and my brother, we... We grew up together, right? So we have a lot of the same values. We have similar tastes in games and what have you. And it, it, we, we quickly found out that we were discussing things that we typically agreed on, <laughs> that yeah, we didn't disagree uh, on. Such as the um, thing on uh, which, this podcast. I don't know if that makes it more or less interesting. Uh, sorry. Uh, there's uh, on this podcast, there a couple of our listeners have uh, called it the agreeathon, where uh, we'll talk. Uh, and kind of just agree over a particular topic, including our audience, but it still gives us discussion about what is going on with that particular topic. And we could still play a little bit of devil's advocate in the middle of all of it as well. Try to look at it at a different angle, but still uh, generally agree over it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think we're, we have sort of the same thing going on um, uh, in our show. But yeah, yeah. Uh, we do a little bit of sometimes we we if it's a slow news week we'll actually do a tribute music episode where we pull up uh, remixes of a, a game that is had historical value for for instance uh, we recently did a, a Sonic tribute episode because it, it was uh, twenty years since uh, he the first Sonic had come out um, same thing with Pokemon that sort of stuff. Um, 
Actually, now I'm already forgetting my own show. I, I can't even remember what anniversary it was for Sonic. I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head how many years it's been it's, since the original uh, Sonic's were, uh, Sonic was released. I think it was the released. 25th anniversary. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I was about to say, it drift. seems I mean, like we, it's a little over 20. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Sonic had some yeah, really yeah. iconic so music. Any, it, yeah, and so the the idea... Yeah, you're right, 25th. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think what I wanted to do with our show was create something that I knew I would listen to and, and find something unique because there are a lot of gaming podcasts out there. I'm sure you guys listen to a few yourself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the major, the major ones when, when it comes to, to my subscribe list are like giant Bombcast, for example. And, and so I wanted to do something. A little, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. And so when it comes to podcasting, it, it's sort of a, a crowded space, right? It's very difficult to find that niche where, you're coming up with new ideas or new perspectives um, or new segments or new formats that hasn't already been done. So that, that was kind of the idea behind our show, the 1P versus 2P podcast. But we also wanted to, to um, say our piece through written pieces, too. So it's on our site, 1PVS2P.com. Is that enough of a plug for you? <laughs> Have I taken up yeah, too much of your time? <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Uh, I, was, I was getting ready to stop you and say, okay, you've only got so much time, so let's move on. Uh, so uh, listening to your podcast, uh, well, for us, we tend to focus almost exclusively on PC. Uh, we do some mobile stuff and every great once in a while, a console, something will sneak in here yeah, outside of been, like the big news topics. Yeah. The big thing uh, has been the Nintendo switch coming up, which honestly has gotten some lukewarm mm-hmm. reaction with our audience. Yeah. So what is the, your gaming platform of choice, Taylor? I really, I get that question all the time, and I really can't name one specifically, but I will tell you that I own the most games for PS4 in the current generation, but I spend recently, in the past year, I've spent the most time at my desk playing on my PC that I built myself, so I have a a mini ITX build, just a small gaming rig, but runs pretty powerful stuff, you know, it runs um, Witcher 3 on high settings, which very happy about but uh nice. yeah uh, i i can't say i have any any specific platform like i don't i i never call myself a fanboy of one over the other um i own everything i've i have the wii u the ps4 the xbox one currently connected to my tv um i also do a lot of mobile gaming as well um i used to be uh an ios user but now i'm on android uh yeah and boy <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah I, I quickly realized that that was that was definitely the 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 way to go but yeah i i find myself more and more often playing um playing on my pc for sure awesome okay uh how do you feel about pre-orders pre-orders they're the devil mm-hmm. Um no. <laughs> yes. You're no, my new uh, best friend. Sorry, Joey. <laughs> our our first commandment, we we have this thing that we've been putting together just over time, our uh, our commandments the of the VGL podcast, and the first one is thou shalt not pre-order. I think that's a pretty healthy um habit to have really. You know, it, and it, it comes to down to the whole and I know we you were mentioning that this is something that we're going to discuss more in depth, but the whole hype over substance thing, I mean, that is definitely a trend that we're seeing that's getting worse and worse in this industry, and more and more and more people are contributing to it from both sides, from developers and publishers to, uh, you know, the, the fans themselves. And it's it's become pretty toxic, and I, I find myself 
disappointed when I'm, you know, I'm an adult that has very limited free time, um, you know, and I, I take that very seriously. <laughs> That's kind of an oxymoron, right? Serious free time. But <laughs> what I mean to say is I value my free time, right? So I, I value it very much. And when it comes to wasting my time on games that, uh, you know, the personalities that I follow and listen to and watch, um, they can't recommend that to me is, is, is the best thing to follow before purchasing a game and it also comes down to you know if you're having a family i don't have a family per se you know i just live with my wife but you know price definitely comes into consideration right you know it's it's very yeah. hard to justify a 50 60 dollar uh game on launch unless it's something spectacular or that you know you're going to be dumping uh a lot of hours into that's well, my opinion even, about it it's not even just 60 dollars anymore because then you have to factor in all the uh extra dlc that they've been putting in uh the season passes and microtransactions well, i was about to say microtransactions that's been going into AAA gaming yeah i mean i have some disposable income but i you know i, I buy maybe one brand new game a year and then the rest of them i get on steam sales and stuff so I bought probably the only new game I'll buy this year today. I bought Halo Wars 2. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's really good. I'll I'll talk about it in length when yeah, we get to games we played. Yeah, it's I'm really good. I, I enjoy it. Video of that. I, it's, it's not without problems, <laughs> but I'm a huge Halo fan. So. Uh, well, see, there's uh, the problem. Uh, I stopped playing on consoles around the PS2 era because uh, a lot of what they were doing with the online for the Xbox and the PlayStation 3, I just detested. And it just... I went to PC after that. Right. And the cancer is spread to Nintendo with uh, them doing paid online. Right. We'll see how that goes. Uh, When it comes to prices, you were talking about, like, PC gaming, and, and more and more I have this internal struggle where... I still want physical copies and discs and carts and what have you because I want to have something tangible, right? It's like paying for something <laughs> or nothing. And when it comes to downloadable titles only, right, that come from Steam sales and what have you, uh, like it's not that those games aren't worthwhile or they shouldn't be played. It's that there's this sense of uh, I can't put this on my shelf to show off. Does that make sense? And I, I, it's not that I don't buy games downloaded uh at all like i totally i i mean i i have a steam library that's you know hundreds of games long it's just that i always <laughs> prefer the physical us. copies over One to of us. Over well, it's, digital. it's yeah. physically impossible yeah. <laughs> for me to have physical copies of my library even if i uh, just did the cds myself i would have to dedicate an entire room to it yeah you've got what are you up to 1300 now 1300 games on steam <laughs> 1400 I passed 16. Oh, good lord. Remember, My I get God. review copies. Yeah. Yeah. I've got... I, I get I'm, I get something like between three to five or six uh, random indie games a week. And that's nice. uh, and that's on average. I have fat, uh, big weeks where I'll get 10 to 15. Yeah, I, I, my Steam library is getting close to 500. But no, I, I get where you're coming from, Taylor, but I'm the exact opposite. I hate physical stuff. 
after I moved from to college and then to a little apartment and then now to my little house, I just don't have room. So I'm like, meh. Well, I will say that I do miss the physical manual. Uh, from uh, especially older PC games where they have a lot of lore that you can sit down and read. That's just, but that's not a thing in general anymore. Now everything yeah. is in tutorials. Or yeah, if yes. you do something like uh, Destiny, everything is on their website and it's not even in the game. Oh. Yeah. I, the, and the and so more and more cards. games just don't include those those manuals anymore. And yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it's always that convenience versus cost versus physical space that it takes up. And there's always that debate. And And then the other thing is I always have this strange fear that Steam is, or Valve is just going to go bankrupt someday and they're not going to have that dead man switch and we're never going to be able to access our games anymore. Yeah, that's I have that big fear. Yeah, exactly. I have that irrational fear that's never been codified. Uh, and, and it's not just Valve, right? It's it's every service. It's PSN, it's Xbox Live, it's wherever you, you buy downloadable titles and uh, that I have this this irrational fear, like I, I need to buy the physical copies because that I can always play, I can always pop that in yeah, as like, long as my hardware works. Well, so. well for example, I <laughs> recently hit this with uh, Desora. I'm not sure if you know them. They're mm-hmm. they were essentially an indie version of Steam, and uh, Steam doing gr- Greenlight just well kind of killed them because that was their entire market was a more open version of the Steam idea. With a digital distribution platform, but uh, they went bankrupt, and I lost a few games on there. Granted, nothing that I really cared about, and most of it was through uh, just random bundles, uh, mostly through the groupies uh, site, actually, now that I think about it. And I think most of those actually have uh, DRM-free downloads there as well, so I didn't lose a lot, but it still shows that it is a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a completely irrational Yeah, so stock fear. up on hard drives. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I, I mean, I the more we even... go into the the future, the less that we're we're sticking to physical content. Eventually, it will all day. One, eventually, it will one day be all digital. There we go. I spit it out. I had to even think <laughs> of the uh, amount of hard drives I would need to just back up everything. That I think I could put all my games on my backup uh, my backup drives. I've got eight terabytes Hang of backup on, there has space. To be a website for this. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta calculate all it. Okay. Well, while Rage looks that that up, uh, let's go ahead and start digging into these topics. Like uh, like we discussed. Actually, I don't know if I mentioned it or not on the official recording, but you were going to be here for about an hour, so we're going to try and get through as many topics as we can until it's time for you to sign off, and then Rage and I will dawdle for another two hours. <laughs> You make sounds it sound good. so dirty when you say it like that. <laughs> oh. uh, okay, well, first on our topics list then is the uh, topic of the GameStop Circle of Life program. Uh, we, I don't think we talked about this at all on our show. I know uh, it was whenever... on the docket a couple times. Yeah, I don't think we ever got to it, though. But uh, you have uh, some video evidence uh confirming sort of the circle of life program and what it does so let's take a couple of minutes just to talk about the circle of life program in general and then we'll move into uh the the video that you have um which will be in the show notes for for people to to go watch uh and we'll probably just link to your page because you've got a transcript 
because you did do some things to try and cover the identity of the person who had the video and or the people in the video. So it is difficult to hear at at points. Yeah, it, uh, it was it was a weird situation that there was a story that uh, came out a couple weeks ago. I think it was broken by Kotaku, but it had sort of been discussed uh, in a lot of places on, on NeoGAF on a bunch of forums, but it, it mostly confirmed a lot of the rumors that uh, employees had to meet certain quotas, but in a very strange way. And if they hadn't met certain sales quotas, they were either, um, you know, threatened to uh, get fired or they were given a lot less hours. And the video that we actually obtained was actually this, this recording where this guy walked into a GameStop. I won't say where or who it was or who the manager was, but they, they talked to a, a store manager directly and got the store manager to um, more or less confirm what uh, Jason Schreier of Kotaku had reported originally, um, which is to say, well, sort of, I should say. He got him to confirm that the employees definitely get less hours, but uh, they're not necessarily fired over the, the, these kinds of things. But the weird thing about it is the, the Circle of Life program that makes it so strange and unique and caused a, a bit of an uproar was that it it sort of penalizes new sales and what i mean by that is uh the circle of life basically the 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 whole concept behind it is you want to sell somebody uh, a customer right a video game right once they beat it they want to trade it back in and use that same credit to buy something else in the store right that's the circle part of that that policy but the problem mm-hmm. is is the way that this program has been enacted for the company is that it's based on percentage quotas of overall sales. So what happens is if you sell a new game or console in store without either, uh, let me look at my notes here real quick, without either doing a couple of different things to offset that cost. Um, so for example, if you have not sold a power up rewards card, which is like sort of their, their membership rewards program, um, yep. If you have not um, sold them a used copy or there's no used trade-in that's been involved in the transaction, that goes against this sort of quota percentage. And essentially, you're being scored on it as an individual working for GameStop. And if you don't meet a certain percentage that is set per store, then they consider you to be a low performer with your job being on the line, essentially. Right. And it and the way I understand it is it doesn't matter if you sold, you know, $2,000 worth of stuff during whatever your sales period was. If not the, you know, if a certain percentage of it wasn't used uh used or add-on items like their power-up rewards program and stuff, then you still it it didn't matter because they get so much more profit from used games because uh, they don't have to send any of it back to or have paid for any of it from a publisher or uh, a manufacturer if it's uh uh, some of the other stuff that they sell, like toys, or uh, I, I actually I haven't been into GameStop in forever. I don't know what else. Yeah, same sell here. Now, but I've, I, I've actively avoided GameStop for a long time. And, well, that's actually part of the reason why I'm a PC gamer, to be honest, because it's uh, well, it's not impossible, but it's a lot harder to be a console gamer and not deal with physical stores like GameStop. And that's really the only video game stores around here are GameStops. 
But it, was it GameStop also caught uh, destroying a lot of used copies, creating artificial scarcity uh, not too long ago, a year or two ago, I think? Yeah. Y- yeah. yeah that, wasn't that, that with that, classic? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was old? A, yeah, it was with a lot of older stuff that was still perfectly usable. It was just that yeah, they wanted to destroy it to try to drive up prices, I guess. Uh, I also think it was part of it was if it wasn't in excellent or very good condition, they weren't interested in selling it. And I, I think that's what this, this that that was the whole disgusting part of that whole story was that these games were not necessarily in you know like new condition, but they were still playable. But they were destroying them nonetheless. And it was both carts and discs, right? These are these are goods that are never going to be made again, theoretically. And yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And and this was being done in their distribution center. They enacted this retro game program. They were accepting trade ins recently within the past five years. They've built out this uh, this huge complex and somewhere in Texas uh, where they're handling all that. You know, they're refurbishing, they're cleaning discs, what have you. And and they were they were caught destroying a lot of their product that was trade in because you know they're only paying you know pennies when when somebody is trading in something you know some retro game and uh, if they can't turn a profit or it's not in excellent condition they were. They were just destroying them nonetheless. It wasn't worth it for them to put it back on the shelf. But um, yeah, it, it's 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 so much the better that neither of you have been in a GameStop in a while. And personally, <laughs> I am very turned off by it recently. They have aggressively, um, you know, it's almost like you're being attacked as soon as you walk in the door. There's someone with a tablet in hand saying, hey, how are you doing? They don't really want to know the answer to the, that question. They just want you to sign up for something. They want you to pre-order something. They want you to trade in something. It's very, very awkward. They, they, they really don't. They don't leave you alone in our culture. When we shop as Americans, we just want to be left alone. We want to browse. We might ask for help if we need it, but for the most part, we don't want to be approached. We want to be left alone when we're most comfortable, right? And and it's yeah. just it's so awkward. It feels like a very scummy uh, car sales deal. It, it feels like you're walking onto a lot. And a salesman is walking up to you with their greasy palm. That's what it feels like every time I walk into GameStop now. So Honestly, I stopped going. Honestly, I like that the last time I went to a GameStop. Well, this ought to give you a, a bit of a timetable. The last time I was in a GameStop was I needed to pick up a World of Warcraft time card uh, because of issues I had at the time. Uh, and I decided to see what PC games they had. And their PC section was, let's see, the latest World of Warcraft expansion, the latest WoW killer at the time. And that was about it. This was before they even started st- selling Steam cards. And let's put it this way. The GameStop I was in, this will definitely tell you the time frame, had more space dedicated to used GameCubes, which this was pretty far <laughs> into the Wii life cycle. That's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I've been actively avoiding GameStop. <laughs> uh, they, had the other, more, uh, they had more space dedicated to GameCube just used GameCube setting out, which looking back at it, I see why, because that is a lot more profit for them than they had PC gaming completely. Well, the other awkward thing is that they're getting into merchandise much more than they are into games. And and they bought out Think Geek. I want to say it was two or three years ago at this point. Uh, Think Geek was just known for selling novelty items, you know, action figures, uh, you name it. It wasn't just gaming related. It was just geek related. Star Trek, Star Wars, licensed merchandise. And now I would say 60% of their store is that, or at least some of the local stores that I've walked into. I live in, in Washington, D.C. 
and it, it's it's less and less shelf space dedicated to games themselves and very very few new games in stock and and bringing this back to the whole circle of life story the 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 other problem that was being reported was that because of this program because of the whole um, percentage quotas for used game sales, trade-ins, pre-orders, the reward card subscriptions. Um, essentially, if a customer would walk in just wanting to purchase a new game or console, employees were incentivized to lie and say, oh, we don't have that in stock, sorry. But why don't you buy this used copy? Or, hey, let me look online for you. Maybe we can find that for you um, through our GameStop website, which was also uh, accepted as a business practice. Yeah, and, that, and that was... Yeah, uh, sorry. I was about to say your analogy of calling them a used car salesman is pretty appropriate at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's kind of gross. And, and just to give you an idea of, you know, why people were all up in arms about it is because these employees, right, they're making close to minimum wage. They're not making commissions per se. So, yes, they're on the floor to make the company money. But just like any other uh, retail store you look at walmart employees right making the same salary i'm gonna assume and for the most part right they're not out there in the store aisles trying to sh- to sell you a loaf of bread and they're not gonna get penalized if you don't buy that loaf of bread in gamestop's case that seems to be the problem here they have limited staff in these stores they're trying to push the used game merchandise because like you said rage the 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 used game sales are you know vastly the profit margin for those are are vastly more than that of a new game sale so that's why the company develops these these quotas to to encourage that kind of stuff and also yeah. the, well you were saying that uh you, they buy the retro games for pennies on the dollar that's really what they do just in general it's very rare True. that you even get a decent amount for anything but the latest hot game that they can't even keep on the shelf. And even then, they yeah. give you a pittance. These games yeah, are when, pure uh, profit for them. Several this, several years ago, when Guitar Hero 3 first came out, uh, I broke my guitar. I got mad. I threw it across the room. <laughs> um, Damn Dragon broke Horse. It. And at the time, like I mean, it was right after Guitar Hero 3 came out. So they didn't have the guitar separately. You had to buy a new game. And I was like, well, like I was talking to the the guy at GameStop, and I was like, well, how about I just buy this and then just trade the game right in, like literally right after I bought it. The game was wrapped in plastic inside the box, and he was like, sure. And I got, I think, $22 for a brand new game wrapped in plastic. For Guitar Hero, I kind of understand that a little bit because it doesn't really work without the peripheral, but I mean, still, that's not even half of the full price of the game. It's terrible. I it's was kind of a bummer. How old, yeah. How old was I then? Uh, high school, sometime in early high school, I think. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember. Well, I tried to trade in a couple games, and they were wanting to give me. Uh, this was PlayStation One era, and I can't remember what it was exactly, but they were pretty recent and uh, in brand new condition, just you know, out of the plastic and played. They wanted to give me less than five dollars for uh, each for two or three games. I said no and kept them. Yeah, GameStop was the last time I went to GameStop was probably two years ago. 
I was cleaning out the the last of my physical collection, and I had gotten a couple of GameStop gift cards, and so I was going to go trade them for Steam Steam cards, uh, Steam wallet cards, and I took in every game that I couldn't sell on eBay to GameStop, and I think I got maybe five bucks for a stack of fifteen or twenty games that I couldn't sell on on eBay. And that's what they're banking on, especially when parents are walking in, uneducated parents who don't necessarily know the value of the games that they're trading in, uh, along with their kids. Again, these kids, you know, want to play newer games and, and, and they're banking on that, right? And they're, they're going to make huge profits off of the games that they're trading. And I understand that. You know, it's a corporation. It's a business. And I, I understand why right. they're, they're paying pennies on the dollar. That makes sense to me. It, the part that rubs me the wrong way is how aggressively um, these employees are trying to push, uh, use games and, and, and are quite obnoxious in, in, in talking to you. Um, and, and the fact yeah. that they're not willing or either. And, and, and the, the other part of this is, you know, e- even if they're not lying and saying that the, their new stuff is not in stock, right? Uh, your, your new game that you haven't pre-ordered. Oh, all of a sudden we don't have that, uh, available here. You know, they they already have limited stock in their stores anyway. So why wouldn't you go online, order on Amazon, have it on your at your doorstep on release day, and it's going to be cheaper regardless? You know, they're right. they're definitely I think in the death throes, and they're going to eventually have to get into the online only business. I I don't see GameStop surviving on their current business practices. It's just not sustainable, and you see less and less and less used game sales, and you see a lot more people. Um, either trading or selling their stuff online strictly. I know I have done that personally. And just anecdotally, I'm, I'm noticing that more and more GameStop stores, at least locally for me, are, they're, they're closing. And, and there must be a reason for that. And the, this, this circle of life policy, there must be a reason for that as well. It sounds like they're really, really hurting, and they're trying to push their, their used stock much, much, much more, more um, aggressively. So it's... It's really, really, really sad, and and there was even uh, there there. This isn't just me talking, you know, out of my ass, so to speak. Uh, but the the, the last <laughs> that's okay. We do that here sometimes. <laughs> sometimes right? you have to be a podcaster and, and be able to do that. Um, <laughs> um, their their sales figures, according to their latest financial report, you know, they, they definitely have been weaker than expected, and that that just to me screams desperation. And I feel really sorry for the staff, for example, at, at Game Informer, you know, who's employed by GameStop or, you know, someone who's making minimum wage or the passionate store manager who's working their tail off, you know, not making much, but supporting their own passion. Right. You you, you do see and you, you can actually talk to the employees um, organically about gaming. Right. That. There's a reason why they're employed there, right? Because they are players and 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 they do enjoy games as much as the customer that walks in. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The big problem GameStop is going to have, and in a couple console generations, is I see the consoles going full digital, not the next generation, but probably the one after it, and they're going to be in a lot of trouble then. They're going to yeah. have to. Well, you were talking about how they are moving towards a more merchandise-focused storefront, and that's really what they have to do to survive. To be honest, because there's going to be their gaming session will be just a list of just uh, gift cards, which I'm pretty sure that's what their PC section is nowadays. It's just their <laughs> assortment of Steam trading cards of different denominations. Pretty much, but they're also getting into. Uh, digital publishing as well. I'm, I'm trying to 
think off the top of my head what the what the game that they they published so far, but they're they're starting to support game makers and creators, um, but in a way that obviously uh, benefits them because they're controlling the point of sale. They're yeah. making it something exclusive you can only buy through GameStop. <laughs> yeah, which is a bit ironic considering how much they've hurt game makers in the last several years. Right, right, exactly. The, the used game sales, they're not seeing a dollar uh, of that stuff, which has led to... Do you remember the whole Xbox One fiasco? Yeah, well, I was when, going to bring that up at one point, is that the yep. Xbox One talking about just cutting out uh, used game possibility overall. And I completely understand why the console gamers were up in arms about it, because that is a way to offset the higher price that console usually has. Not always compared to PC, but usually has compared to... a pc game is that the price is higher and they're able to offset that yep exactly yep yep uh song of the deep by the way I that's that what that's it was the game that that yep. gamestop has published so memorable <laughs> yeah uh, i was about to say i've never heard that <laughs> neither have i apparently it's on pc xbox one and ps4 uh hang on googling well, if you ever do walk back into a GameStop, you will quickly hear about it as they hound you as soon as you take a step in that in that door. I I kind of <laughs> want to go into GameStop this week uh, during a little bit of downtime, or maybe when I eat lunch or something. Just go in there and see. There's only one left in my town. There used to be three, and there's only one now. Well, so. sh- show them our blog post uh, and and show them the anonymous video we recorded, and that'll scare them. No, I'm kidding. Well, it, I'm it, kidding. Of course. Well, I'm looking at <laughs> we, uh, Song of the Deep on uh, Steam, and it doesn't look bad. It just doesn't have really any marketing. <laughs> kind of uh, ironic, considering you know a storefront. Oh, yeah. I do. I do recall GameStop. They were they were marketing it hardcore. They had like exclusive yeah, but, figures yeah, yeah, and but plushes the, and stuff. Yeah, but that's the thing is that they're marketing to the people that go into there and actively avoid them. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, true. So they're, that's, playing that's to a, they're playing to a captive audience, essentially, because the, uh, the console gamers really have to deal with the devil in this point. Uh, either that or wait on shipping from something like Amazon, because, like I said, uh, here, well, and I should uh, preface that with saying the nearest GameStop is about 45, 50 minutes away from me, because I live out in the middle of nowhere. But they are still pretty much the only, well, game in town. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, one of my one of my biggest regrets, seriously, um, is trading in. Back in the day when I was in high school, when the Game Boy Advance SP, when when they were having all those limited editions and skins, and they they sold this um, NES Classic Edition, basically like the the. The on the clamshell on the top looked like the the top of the actual NES console, and when you'd open it up, the buttons appeared just like the NES controller, and, and so I, I didn't think anything of it. I bought it. I had used it a while, but I decided I needed to trade it in quickly because I was at that point where I'm a high schooler. I don't have much money. I'm not making much money, and I can't afford my own hobby. So. I quickly traded it in, and then you look at the 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 prices for that thing now. It's a collector's item, and, and it, because it was so scarce, 
you know, can go for hundreds of dollars. Oh. And I like shoot myself in the foot because I'm like, oh, if only I could go back in time and punch 18 year old Taylor in the face <laughs> and say, don't trade that in. <laughs> it's not you worth the money. <laughs> you know, the, the lucrative business of video game collecting <laughs> and the prospect of that. Um, it, it's a dark path for sure. But now I'm at that point where I, 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 if I'm buying something, if I'm, if I'm buying a console or a handheld, I'm hanging on to it. You know, I, I almost can start like a mini museum in my, in my man cave someday. <laughs> yeah. I just looked it up on eBay. It looks like some of them that like broken ones, $75. Wow. Parts yeah. only seventy-seven ninety-five. So, oh, in box $500. Yep, there you go. Yeah. And I I had a tendency to keep that all that stuff, you know, the box, the manuals and and what have you. So, had I kept that kind of thing, oh well. Oh well. <laughs> Say welcome you. GameStop. <laughs> yeah, and okay, one okay. bet that that was just sold for uh hardly anything as well to someone else. And then they probably traded in somewhere. Yep. It's the circle of life. There you go. Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you, well, Elton John. I didn't, I didn't exactly nail it, but I'll take it. Uh, I nailed right. it for you. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's try and get at least one more topic in here. I'm looking at our <laughs> recording time. Um, so our next topic, uh, Twitch streamer dies during a 24-hour charity stream. Yeah, this is uh, breaking news. Well, it's from about a day ago, actually, but a lot of details are still coming in. The... Uh, gist of it is that a world of tanks streamer uh well he was doing a 24-hour stream for charity and he took a break and never came back and uh, after several hours someone on his discord channel uh one of the mods there uh contacted or, or was attempting to contact him and a detective uh, that found uh, the twitch streamer uh confirmed that he died <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. the detective, didn't he answer the phone or something yeah, yeah, along he, those lines? Uh, yeah, yeah, he had, uh, uh, there was a phone conversation in there. It was, uh, like I said, details are still a little scarce, but it's it brings up an interesting topic, which is why I have the secondary link to a Gotaku article uh, about Twitch streamers who spend their lives on camera. And how Twitch really encourages you to do these marathon streams. Well, I mean, Twitch really plays into people's... Warrior-strict uh, uh, tendencies? A bit, yeah, but streaming is an interesting form of entertainment. All entertainers, or not all, but many entertainers, you'll hear them do interviews. They're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I do it. I don't know how I attract these people. I just do what I like, and they have very... A, a lot of psychological problems because they don't handle the spotlight very well they just happen to be people that everyone likes yeah, just how and many Twitch times have we thrusts seen? that live onto people you know it's one thing first you know like matt damon to make a movie you know it spends years in in filming and production and all of that and then you know he reads some critics stuff about it they like it they don't like it whatever but on twitch especially if you're a popular streamer you know you can have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people watching you, just a constant stream of uh, sometimes of vitriol and hate or even just criticism like, oh, you screwed that up. Yeah, how many uh, yeah, times have we seen terrifying. just a YouTuber or Twitch streamer uh, just completely snap uh, once they get popular? 
or yeah. uh, just oh uh, yeah total meltdowns their, or just completely abuse their position just look at all the <laughs> gambling scandals that we've had in the last uh, couple months yeah and on top of that you put all of that stress on top of someone so i'm going back over i i can't there's no way i can pronounce <laughs> well actually his his uh poshy bird it looks like is his uh his his name his twitch name um but uh you know, it, it says in the article that he was known for drinking and smoking and, you know, heavily on stream. Yeah, and also, so you combine well, and something else that uh, I saw detail-wise is that in the last couple weeks, he's been doing a lot of marathon streaming, over 12 hours a pop. Yeah. That's going to take so, its toll. Like, so like my, there's, my money there's is either, precedent for this. Yeah, my money yeah. is either on some sort of sleep deprivation uh, issue uh, causing, like, heart arrhythmia or something. Or I think more likely is that he threw a blood clot. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he threw a blood clot because you know he spent so much time sitting, he had one build up, and then it got into his stream and got into his heart. Or if he just straight up had a heart attack, yeah, uh, a stress related heart attack. Yeah, which uh, Twitch streaming, uh, a lot of people think that it's just you know turn on the camera and you know, play a game, but. There is a lot more to it. Uh, granted, I'm not a streamer, but I am a YouTuber, so I do understand a little bit of what's going on. And I just, I sit and look at the comparison of what I do compared to what a Twitch streamer would do. My biggest recording nights is this, and when I record RimWorld, which is at least two hours, usually about two and a half to three hours of content for RimWorld. So uh, roughly about the same, but RimWorld's me talking a lot more, so it's a lot rougher on my throat. That would be a night of streaming, and that for me is a week's worth of content for RimWorld, and that's me doubling up on episodes for it uh, in my rotation. So if I did it like I do all my other content, that is four days out of the seven taken care of in two hours, two, two and a half hours. When you and I used to do Monday Night Kerbalcast, which that feels like a lifetime ago at this <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, really. <laughs> but whenever we used to do that, that was really difficult because we had to perform for that audience for two or three hours at a time. Yeah, yeah, dance, monkey, dance. It's the performance part that is the most difficult for people to understand. Like I, I, I consider myself an outsider when it comes to Twitch streaming. I feel like the grandpa in the room that... You know, the, the curmudgeon that's looking at him like, oh, these youngins and they're streaming. But, <laughs> Do you want to borrow uh, my cane? <laughs> I, I, he does have a cane. I honestly have tried it myself, and I find it very difficult to entertain others when nobody else is in the room but me and my cat. Um, and and, and you, oftentimes you're speaking to zero people. But the idea of live streaming yourself and that that sense of instant gratification is sort of dangerous but also addicting um and and it's 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 not as easy as i think people on the outside uh, perceive it especially for non-gamers they they see it as this sort of waste of time and uh, honestly for the for the folks who look up to youtubers and these twitch streamers that that make a living off of doing that that's like, you know, a moonshot for the for those folks. It, it's very difficult to break through and and come up with an audience to sustain yourself. And I understand there are offsetting costs like like Patreon. If you have a small following, Patreon can can help you out. 
but the the PewDiePie's of the world, you know, the, the, these these people are dedicated hardcore streamers, and it's very difficult for you starting from scratch nowadays. Perhaps uh, several years ago, when this was sort of a fledgling industry, that's that might have been different. But now it's so hard to just break through and get that gratification, unless you're doing something extreme, like a marathon, for example. Or one of my one of my favorite examples of this is like there there are a couple of streamers out there who play Overwatch with different modded controllers. Have you seen this kind of thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I, ha- uh, I've I seen have the, not. I've seen the Winston uh, controlled with a bunch of bananas. Exactly. That's that's what oh, I was getting that into. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I've seen yeah, that. that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to uh, uh, talk about. Is really the only way that you could break into it is uh, some sort of niche. Uh, a big yep. one is actually speedrunning games these days. Uh, oh yeah. Speedrunners oh, yeah. uh, go on, live on Twitch, and you'll watch someone play like the first level or two of Super Mario Brothers, the first Super Mario Brothers. For hours and hours as they perfect their runs. I, that's about the only kind of streaming that I like to watch, honestly. Every once in a while, it's just, it, it's fascinating to me to watch them kind of work. Uh, I, and, I absolutely and practice, love but... watching uh, games done quick. Absolutely. Same here. I take the time to watch yeah. that. Granted, I usually go back and watch the VODs because I rarely catch the games I want to catch. But it's the same general idea is that. You have to find a niche or you have to just marathon long enough to be able to build up at least some of it, uh, some of an audience to get higher on the page because uh, it's kind of the problem that a lot of little indie games have on Steam. There's not a really good discovery tool on Twitch. Uh, you go to the game that you want to see, then it lists the streamers by popularity. Who has the most uh, viewers? Who has the second most? Who has the third? And you have to go really, really down uh, the list to find someone that is uh, brand new to the streaming, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Either yeah. that or go to I'd... a very niche game, a game that just isn't being played by anyone. And that's what uh, a couple of, well, at least one person in the Gotaku article uh, was talking about was that he made it big by playing a game that nobody else was, t- was just playing at the time. Yeah, well, with... Uh, getting any audience members at all. Uh, Taylor, I don't know if you know this or not, but we stream, at least when I don't have the plague, we stream <laughs> twice a week. And it's mostly just for interaction with our community. Uh, and, and most of our views come from community members. But every once in a while, random people will show up. Uh, and Factorio actually has gotten me the most random views out of any game in months that we've streamed. Those two nights that we streamed Factorio, I got like a dozen random people show up to watch the stream. That's interesting. But, the The only game I've come across that I streamed or that I've streamed personally, I should say, is Heroes of the Storm. I I play that game way too much. Um, I was never uh, a MOBA fan before. I hadn't played League of Legends or, Do- or Dota two before, but I, I really fell hard for Heroes of the Storm. And when I streamed that, I had all of a sudden, you know, 10, 20 people watching me at once. And I was like, oh, wow, this is this is great. And then the next time I did it, I actually included a, a call in and then showed my my Skype username, had very awkward live calls as I'm playing online <laughs> with people <laughs> watching me, which was not a well thought out idea. Um, I should just leave it to anonymous people in the chat uh, for next time. But, yeah, it was 
it, it was a strange feeling. It was something that I was very inexperienced in. Um, I was very comfortable playing Heroes of the Storm by myself alone, like I do a lot of games. And I really take the time to to immerse myself, get have very few distractions, and, and play uh, quietly. And that that's what I've done for a lot of my life. Um, and my brother, my brother's the same way too. If he were on the show, I think he would agree with me. And and I found myself very uncomfortable with the streaming aspect. It almost felt like I was working instead of playing. Does that make sense? Did you ever get that feeling? Yes, absolutely. Whenever um, random people do show up to the stream, it's always fascinating how quickly they demand interaction with you most of the time. Yes. Like yes. I will glance over at my chat. I don't, I, I've got two monitors, but most of the time I just use one whenever I'm gaming and I have a Twitch overlay uh, that I put over my game when I'm playing and I'll glance into the corner where the chat box is and it's like, I don't know, been two or three minutes and someone will have posted like eight messages like, hey, talk to me. Hey, talk to me. Hey, hey, I'm over here. And it's like, and no, get man, mad. I'm it's like, Hey, listen. It's like, man, it's been two minutes since the last time I looked. I'm really sorry that I missed you, but just patience, please. I'm playing games with four other people and, you know, we're interacting with our own audience members on our Discord channel. I swear I will get to you when I notice, but yeah, it just feels like they're very demanding and just like, a job like that's a, a really uh really picky boss like hey hey what are you doing there hey look at me <laughs> the weirdest Talk to me the weirdest thing for me is um i don't know have you have either of you ever been to magfest over here no in the east Coast? no okay are you familiar with magfest though not really honestly no okay so magfest stands <laughs> Boy, for a good uh, uh companion for this <laughs> <laughs> right well he'll, no, he'll no, get no, to I'll, teach I'll, us something i'll talk i'll talk about it briefly because i've gone over the past couple of years and i've been a panelist at this most recent one uh hosted a uh a, a video game pub trivia panel essentially it well it, it's it stands for music and gaming festival and it, it's basically dc's version of pax east pat and pax south it's it's a smaller it's definitely smaller than than pax prime out in seattle but I've seen it grown from uh, a crowd of uh, a couple thousand to now they expect crowds of 20,000 to 25,000 people packed into a convention space. And it's a convention, right? There's there's free games, consoles, arcades, there's uh, panelists, there's uh, voice actors, there's uh, gaming industry, celebrities that show up, uh, autographs, what everything that you would see at a normal fan convention, you, you get there. Very similar to right. the format of, of PAX South. The thing that makes it different it's, is, uh, or makes it different from the PAX or Penny Arcade Expos is that they have live performers, uh, musicians, remixers that focus on on gaming related stuff. But the point I wanted to make here is that I went over to the autograph space to talk to some of the voice actors there, um, and the lines forming for YouTube personalities like John Tron, for example, John Tron was there. I, I want to say one or two years ago, um, as opposed to um, a prominent voice actor like Wes Johnson, who you may or may not be familiar with. If you've ever played oblivion or fallout or Skyrim, he's a reoccurring voice. His most well-known yeah. voice would be the whole stop right there. Criminal scum, you know, in, in oblivion, uh, you hear that many times. Uh, That's uh, the I'll guy. A, okay. He, uh, he probably was half the voice cast to be honest, because yeah. oblivion, <laughs> right. Had, uh, Ex Patrick Stewart, Sean Bean, and three other people for the rest of the, of the so, uh, several thousand NPCs in that game. So my point is, is this guy is 
prominent. He's been in the games for a while, and you would think that people would want to get his autograph. I know I certainly did. You know, I walked up to him with printouts of characters that he's voiced, and I asked him asked him to to sign his favorite lines uh, along with the signature, which was great. It's fun. The guy's amazingly friendly, but the line was just absolutely dwarfed by the lines that were forming for the YouTubers there. I couldn't even name half of the ones that, that had come. Um, I want to say, uh, best friends play, I think is another one. Am I getting that right? I have no idea. I, I, I've I could, never even heard of best I, friends play, to be honest. I, I could spout out three random words that describe a YouTube personality and I would probably be right. <laughs> There's just so many out there that I'm just not, <laughs> not familiar with at all. But it just that to me like flipped a switch in in my mind it's to say wow it's really much more about the cult of personality uh, surrounding playing games versus the people making games and i wonder when that sort of switch happened when it when it came to h- hardcore fans uh, uh, of gaming really um I, I try to think back and pinpoint when this all started did it start when youtube was very mainstream and uh, user content generated focused is it when twitch really came into its own it, it, it's it's weird for me it's weird for me because i put developers and voice actors and and uh you know industry veterans the these game creators the people that make the games that we love and play i put those people up on a pedestal way much more than i do entertainers and 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 youtubers and what have you i hope i'm not insulting you rage if you're if you're a youtuber i have no idea what your audience is like but Uh, me personally i don't think i could ever get involved with that scene audience no 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 you've got a little (laughs) bit of an audience i don't i don't mean a little bit of one i I don't mean to say audience uh, but it's just it's just this uh, weird weird thing i'm joking i do have a a few people that pop up every so often uh, that's actually outside of the vtl community uh, but it's one of those things that it's they more follow the game than me at this point. It's not about me. It's about I'm playing RimWorld usually badly. That's usually the one that, <laughs> <laughs> that I get people uh, popping in for. And uh, they're talking about the game and not me. So it's not hit that point for me yet. They, but that's, they come that, for the game and stay for your sultry tones. Oh, those <laughs> poor, poor people. <laughs> Velvety smooth. Haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> you know, but it, but it's weird because you know I, I went to Pack South. Um, when was it? I, you know I I'm terrible with time frames. So the people I went it's with, okay. please forgive me. It was a year or two years ago. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. I guess the point is is that first thing you do when you walk on the show floor is see this massive uh, booth with um, Twitch promoting. Um, you know, all they have streamers there that are signing autographs and, and streaming actually right there on the spot. And then you see like no lines for a bunch of indie developers that are showing off their games very proudly and, and some really cool stuff, uh, that, that's, that's out there on the show floor is just being dwarfed by people, uh, you know, s- sitting huddled around, crowded around a, a Twitch streamer at, at that booth. I'm like, you could do this at home. Why did you come to PAX to do this? Is what I wanted to say to all of them. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's so right. surreal for me. I can't. I can't relate. It's very weird. Well, since we're kind of already on the topic, and let's make this even more of an editing mess, should we just go ahead and skip to the general topic, uh, the <laughs> hype of uh, of games over their merits? 
Well, I was going to ask, since we're coming up on the hour mark, if Taylor wanted to stick around for more topics or if he wanted to start wrapping up. Yeah, I have no problem. We can we can cover this part. I have a lot to say about that uh, specifically. Okay. So I'll say my piece and, and, and I'll leave you guys to, to Yeah, this uh, t- uh, topic originally got on the list because of our favorite bottle of glue, No Man's Sky. <laughs> but this has been a problem that's uh, been around for ages. As a matter of fact, the reason why I really stopped pre-ordering games, uh, and I can't say that I haven't pre-ordered games completely since then, because I've uh, pre-ordered two that I can think of right off the bat in the last five years, and that's Portal 2 and uh, Binding of Isaac, uh, the uh, Afterbirth, one one of which was for my YouTube channel. And I think... Uh, Portal 2 has been uh, less than five years. It may be longer now, but yeah, that's the two, last two. Anything else uh, I have pre-release is usually review copy. But uh, this really stems back all the way to Spore. I'm not sure if you uh, were aware of just the hype around Spore before it came out. Oh, I remember it. I remember it quite vividly. Uh, it I was... mean, the fact that they had Robin Williams at one point playing with the character creator. Yes, Spore, and I think uh, around that same time, I want to say when Fable 2 was about to be released, that but, was also a big deal. Well, here's the um, thing is that mentioning Peter Molyhew in this is kind of cheating. Because <laughs> he's his uh, one man hype machine. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, he, uh, well, uh, Grand Sean Murray's kind of taking his place now just because Peter Molyhew, uh, uh, tries to avoid talking to the press, but he can't help himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to blacklist the press. I'm not going to talk to him again. Year later. Uh, oh, look, an interview from Peter Molyhew. <laughs> <laughs> he there was there was this weird thing I remember seeing on Twitter where someone was impersonating him. I think they hacked his Twitter account and saying, <laughs> "What what did he say? He said uh, Fable Three was a mistake. What what was no, it? No, I'm it was No Man's Sky was a mistake. No 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 no. I'm talking about Peter Molyneux. This happened to him way before No Man's Sky oh, was a thing. Okay okay. Yeah, I, this yeah. happened. Uh, that happened to him sometime. Yeah, early last year, uh, maybe I, I, late I'm not, 2015. I'm not sure if I heard, uh, heard about this or not. Uh, I know. The, I remember that. I, remember I know that. the whole thing about No Man's Sky, of course. And the, oh, uh, and that, the fact that's that, its own. <laughs> beast for sure yeah that that was full of drama i mean that that game will go down in history as one of the most overhyped games that had little to no substance um we actually had a whole podcast episode dedicated to someone who who actually played the game uh, at launch who'd pre-ordered it bought into the hype and uh, was giving us his early impressions of the game and, and he kept <laughs> repeating the phrase it's not for everyone and that to me sort of uh signaled red flags but i had to know so I yeah. went out and bought the game, and I had to experience it for myself, and I was severely, severely disappointed. Um, and and I know that they've made patches and and few changes here and there that have that have improved it, but not in an overly substantial way, um, and not in the ways that uh, they had advertised when they went on Colbert. And there was that whole um, laundry list. It was like a list of grievances, almost like Martin Luther's objections to the, to the church. <laughs> It was, it was huge. It was, uh, it was on, on Reddit. Reddit. It was, it was that massive list of features and stuff shown in in footage, uh, either online or at PlayStation Experience or wherever, wherever it was shown off, wherever wherever it was advertised. All the stuff that was missing from the final version of that game, and I, I didn't so much have a problem with that part. You know, game development is a creative process where things can 
be taken away and put back in many, many times before release. You have to go into it with th- those expectations. And I understand a lot of people don't understand that part. Yeah, but, but the difference yeah. is that they were being sold on those features by the True. developer. It's not True. saying that it's not like an early access game. I'm I'm actually going to draw a uh, parallel here between this and Space Space DF9. Because both of them launched with a lot of missing features. And both of them got lambasted by it. I could understand a little bit more with Space Base because it was an early access game, but it's still kind of buying into the hype of what the game could be instead of what it is. And the fact that it was Double Fine that was uh, backing it as well. It's uh, not a small name. Yeah. And Didn't it also spend like yeah, and it also oh, had a laundry list of features that were missing on the roadmap that they actually edited off their website when they pushed it out the door. It, oh, there, there's Scary. a lot of parallels there actually. Now that I really think about it, that we never really discussed. Yeah, we spent like two hours going over No Man's Sky the week it released because I bought it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't pre-order it, but I bought it based on a couple of early reviews that. Yeah, and I laughed. I think that publishers just pushed out the door. I mean, I enjoyed portions of the experience, but I mean, like I said, the more the game wears on, the more the flaws basically take over the magic. uh, As you know, the first several hours you play the game, everything is new and shiny and wow and amazing, and then it's like, oh, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. Yeah, it's basically a game perfectly made to make it so that you can't refund it on Steam because the first few hours. Are they still have that new shine to them, but once you get past, I've heard a lot of people say about the 10 hour plateau, you know, getting off planet and going to a couple others, and you start yeah. noticing that, okay, this is essentially a palette swap, or okay, that creature has parts from two other creatures that I've seen on the last planet. Yeah. Then you no start man's to sky, the- all face and no trousers. <laughs> well, for me, it was it was the terrible control mechanics and and let me let me preface this by saying that i'm i'm mostly grew up uh, playing consoles even though i'm a pc gamer uh now right um you know i i have always felt comfortable controlling first person with a controller it's no problem dual sticks i don't care doesn't matter but i've never felt so helpless and the lack of tutorials uh, from No Man's Sky, it was it was overwhelmingly um, obscure and obtuse when you start off the game, and and the jumping mechanics and the physics on planet versus when you're flying around are are vastly vastly different, and the that that's not even to, to to say about the combat. The combat itself is is horrendous. You know, you start mining resources on a planet, and then all of a sudden you have you know, random drones coming at you and you're, you're finding yourself, def- you know, quickly, quickly dying and you have no idea how to, uh, you know, fight back in a meaningful way. It was very, very, um, tiring for me. From everything <laughs> I've seen, it, it definitely looks like a game that has, I would say 85% of its content missing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very jarring. Just what isn't there? Uh, just the, 
well, the lack of combat or lack of variety of combat. It, it seems like it's always drones, isn't it? There's nothing really else that you fight outside. Well, maybe a random creature that's there's, aggressive. There's, unless they've added something in one of the more recent patches, there were three different types of drones, but I mean, they all wow, functioned basically three. the same. And then occasionally <laughs> wild animals would attack you. And that was, that, that's it. Yeah, and I, I should I should clarify by the way I was pl- I was playing the game on PS4 and it was, um, yeah I I really appreciated the the art style and and the direction that they were going in but the the execution was just not there and and it's it's hard to to point the finger at you know people's expectations to say oh well this game was never going to live up to that game I've heard some people were were describing this game as the game to end all games like this is this is a game you can play forever and infinitely explore because you're never going to run into the same planet twice or the same environment whatever and so it was never going to live, live up to expectations well, but if they want to have that then they should just play minecraft yeah so so people just sort of build these illusions in their heads and the, and there's no chance that most games will ever fulfill those and even if it wasn't no man's sky right that was overly hyped even Excuse me. Not only hyped by No Man or uh, um, Hello Games, but also Sony. Sony had a big part in it, and they even walked back after all the negative press that it was receiving. They were walking back their support for the game. <laughs> they were like, "Yeah, I, I don't know if you saw some of those statements by uh, Shiro yeah, Yoshida." Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah we talked. Which about is him, like, but... wow, you know, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot over here. You know, now what indie developer is going to uh, come come work with you uh, exclusively? It, it yeah, was which very I hesitate awkward. to call uh, No Man's Sky an indie game just because it was backed so heavily by uh, Sony to begin with. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sh- yeah. Obviously, there was there was um, stuff financially that we we weren't necessarily privy privy to. But I mean, the, the point is, is it's it's very hard to justify pre ordering something anymore. Like you, you look at reviewers, you look at first impressions, you look at uh, videos. You uh, you should always use in general. Yeah, yeah. You should always use these to influence your purchasing de- decision. Always, 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 always. And it just baffles me when I hear about people complaining. You know, they're they're attacking developers on Twitter. They're going on their forums and saying, "I need my money back. I want a refund. Where, where's where's all the stuff that I was promised?" Like, I get all that, but why don't you? You know, why don't you? Take a note from the movie industry, right? You're not going to go see a movie if everyone is reviewing it critically as as terrible, right? You're not going to wa- waste your time and money. Why don't apply the same strategy when it comes to video games? And uh, well, I, I just the, don't get that. Well, here's the problem is that we, – well, we've talked about this before, but we are the enthusiast. We are not the average gamer. The average gamer is the one that goes into GameStop and picks up something off the shelf that uh, one of the salesmen uh, suggests. That is the average gamer. They're not the ones that go read all the reviews. They're not the ones that know that this developer has a track record of having DRM that will just cripple the game. And that they have a track record of games that just perform terribly. They don't know this. They just look at the marketing material. Well, and marketing material too. And for for example, using No Man's Sky again as the example, you know, marketers have had hundreds hundreds at least a hundred years of modern marketing to figure out how to hook people in psychologically Uh, a lot of people who praise no man's sky i mean i'm sure some people genuinely love it and i'm not going to knock it is a very nice uh, screenshot generator a a lot of people though will (laughs) will rationalize things away you know confirmation bias and um 
you know, this fear of being left out or missing a part of the conversation, and they'll get hooked by something that the dev says or that the commercial says or that the E3 presentation shows. And instead of making the hard choice, admitting to themselves, you know what, I made a bad decision, this wasn't for me, you know, I'll just suck it up for next time and do a little bit better, they rationalize away. They, you know, they make excuses or they not necessarily lie about their experience. It's not completely lying if they've sort of convinced themselves a little bit that they believe what they're saying. But it's just a big psychological play at that point. Can you tell which one of us is the shrink, by the way? (laughs) I was just going to say, I I really appreciate the psychological perspective. No, seriously, I I really do, because that, that kind of stuff fascinates me. It's that that true fear of missing out that drives mm-hmm. a lot of us to to buy games irrationally buying into the hype buying into the marketing and a lot of it is just noise you know it's it's everywhere it's not only an ad on a video that you're going to watch it's it's on TV it's on the Super Bowl commercial it's this AAA marketing is just everywhere and and a lot of it's noise but then you're right it for for I I guess you you hit a point there rage is that the average consumer sees that stuff and buys into the name and not necessarily the uh, they're not going to go out of their way to, to read a review, um, look at their Metacritic score or or look at a, you know, a gameplay video with no commentary, for example, you know, and, and so they can make it their own conclusions. Like it's just it, it takes a lot of time f- to, to pay attention to those kinds of things. I get that part. But if we as consumers keep pre-ordering uh, games, we are encouraging the the sort of toxic business practices that developers and publishers are trying to push out there. Um, no Man's Sky being one of the, the critical examples here. If we were to take a step back and not pre-order anything, I think we could change the industry in, in a meaningful way. It's not going to happen overnight. And I'm not trying to build a crusade over here. And I'm not trying to oh, say... We are. <laughs> well, well, I, I, I guess you you need to become an informed and educated consumer um, in order to, that to takes get the time most value out of your games. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult for the average gamer who just wants to pick up a game and play it. They don't want to yeah. have to spend hours to well, okay, hours is probably uh, being a little dramatic unless they're looking at multiple games. But you know, uh, pick up a game that's it's like yeah, you know, well, how good is this game? Because there's really no way to tell. And right, yeah. also, well, even the uh, what material we could use is also kind of muddied by the fact that the early stuff out there by streamers sometimes is really directed on what they could do. Look at Shadow of Mordor. How they had it where if you wanted to get an early copy... You had to agree to basically not show anything detrimental or possibly detrimental to the game. Granted, that ended up being a bit of a moot point just because the game turned out to be good. But the thing is still there that they tied down uh, the ability to show bugs. They had to. Uh, I think you had to generally talk positive about the game. I don't think that they allowed a lot of criticism about it, if I recall correctly. Granted, it's been a while since that story broke and. I haven't really heard anyone talk about another game that's done that since then. There was a case with Bethesda with the most recent um, Sky re-release, the special edition. Uh, a lot of outlets didn't receive game the the, the game pre-release 
Yeah, um, but then it, Bethesda's basically, well, not basically, they have said that they're not doing pre-releases at all anymore. No, no, and, no. Or, or but the, here's the thing with that, review though. Review code uh, completely. And it's no. kind of funny, the very first game after that was Dishonored 2, which was a mess on release. But, but, but here's the thing with that. They say one thing and they do another because what had happened was, specifically with Skyrim Special Edition, is that they put it out for a specific uh, Twitch streamer. Uh, I forget who who it was specifically, but that one person had exclusive pre-release coverage for it. And they knew that they had a contract with this streamer to put it in a positive light. This was an enthusiast. And he he literally was the only person to play this game uh, before uh, its release date. And it, it was very awkward because all these me- mainstream sites, which could, you know, uh, do an in-depth analysis and write a written review, what have you, they didn't get that, that, uh, that same opportunity. And yet Bethesda was coming out and saying, well, we're not giving out any free review codes anymore. But they literally contradicted themselves. And, and you know, it's, it's this utilizing streamers for you know positive pre-release marketing hype versus getting something i don't want to say completely objective because no review is completely objective everything is subjective but at least you're getting somewhat so you're getting more perspectives let's put it that way you're getting other opinions besides the one the company wants you to hear yeah right because uh the company has crafted quite a bit of their marketing into just what they want you to hear Exactly. Indeed. <laughs> is uh okay. Is that a is that a, a wrap on this topic? I, I don't want to cut anybody off, but I, I, think I feel like kinda, we just came to an it's, end. It's uh really uh tough to try to differentiate just uh, some of the noise out there because there's a lot of really undercover stuff that is marketing, but it's not labeled as marketing. Grant, the FCC is cracking down on it. Well, at least they were. We'll see how things go in the future. I'm not sure how political you want to get, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, yeah, I'm not seeing the FCC uh, being as powerful as they were. But that's beside the point. I'm having a great day today. I don't want to be depressed <laughs> by politics tonight. <laughs> get enough of that My, in your uh, day job. Yeah, my uh, my interview went well, Rage. Oh, so. congratulations! I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm uh, Taylor. I'm I'm looking for a, a better job now, working at a a better uh, counseling center, and I had oh, a phone right. interview today, so that went well. Well, good luck with that. In person interview scheduled for next week, so uh, hopefully they hire me. <laughs> Yay, money! Good luck and, and benefits <laughs> and more clinic hours, so I can get my licensure faster. Wonderful, wonderful. Good luck with that, seriously. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, okay, well, let's wrap up your section, unless you just want to keep going. I won't stop you, but we are over an hour now, so. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's getting a little late for me. I'll, I'll just leave by um, plugging my stuff real quick. Um, you okay. can You can listen to my show, the 1P versus 2P podcast, um, pretty much everywhere, iTunes, Google Play Music, um, Clamor, Stitcher, wherever, doesn't matter. Uh, you can also listen directly on our website, 1pvs2p.com. We also put up uh, regular uh, editorials, opinion pieces, uh, reviews also um, on our site. 
Uh, also, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1PVS2P, or follow us on Twitter. We're very active on Twitter, at 1PVS2P underscore podcasts. Um, and also, we're, we we do read comments, right? And we, we do read the tweets, so please, uh, if you have any feedback for our show, you have any questions, follow-ups, corrections, we do make mistakes. We're all humans. Uh, <laughs> please let us know. Uh, we, we love to uh, engage with people. I think the we going back to our circle of life story that we had reported on earlier. We got a lot of views on YouTube about that. Uh, we had several pages uh, on NeoGAF, a ton of comments on on Reddit specifically about our story, which was nice to see uh, some discussion surrounding some of the stuff we put out there. But I'm always encouraged that and um, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate talking to you guys. It was it was truly a pleasure. It really was. Uh, yeah, for we appreciate us. you coming on. We really enjoyed it. Uh, you said you wanted us to do a thing since this is going to be on your show. Do you want us to still do a thing? Oh, yes, please. Plug your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Rage, I'll let you do the official plugging uh, for the show because well, uh, that's what you do. Uh, uh, we're Video Game Logic. You can find us on our Podbean site. Uh, Podbean, not, uh, sorry, vglpodcast.podbean.com. And we, you could also email us if you have a, any questions for us, vglpodcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is also vglpodcast. Yep. Uh, my personal Twitter is at jma4707 if you want to follow me. Uh, I talk about all kinds of stuff and love to interact with uh, members of the community. Uh, and then if you want to follow my YouTube channel, it's Gaming Psychologist. Uh, Wonderful. And uh, I have a YouTube channel as well, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. I have three Let's Play series because I'm absolutely crazy. <laughs> Why do you think I'm uh, with a shrink all the time? Uh, I'm I not have, sure I help. <laughs> I also I'm do steal a, that line. a That's series great. I call the Sunday Sampler, which tends to be just first impressions of a random indie game. And occasionally it's actually a good indie game. <laughs> And the podcast is on both of our YouTube channels as well. And I also post on Twitter, Gaming with CR. And I had a bit of a rant this week because I saw someone talking about how they're delaying their game because PC gamers are thieves, essentially. Oh, boy. <laughs> Can we just talk about that in a little bit? You'll have a whole whole episode to talk about it. <laughs> well, thanks again, guys. I'll, I'll say goodnight to you uh, and good luck with the rest of the show. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, we might do this again sometime, if you're up for it. For sure, for sure. We'll keep in touch. Maybe we get your brother on, too. That'd be fun. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, he'll 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 hear it and then decide, make his own judgment judgment call. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. No. <laughs> you have a wonderful night, sir. <laughs> and he's gone. And he's gone. <laughs> Boy, he was uh, uh, got out here in a hurry. <laughs> yep. Oh, well. I blame Never myself. see him again. No, no, wait. <laughs> no, wait. I blame you. <laughs> I'm going to send him a quick Skype message, and then we need to take a break because I'm dying to go to the bathroom. I've drained my energy drink, my tea, and like a quart of water. Nope. Oh, was that him or was that you? That was him because I haven't done anything. <laughs> He's saying, sorry, I disconnected prematurely. Damn touch bad. That's okay. We made a joke at your expense.
Okay. And we're back. Um, so yeah, that was Taylor. He pretty cool dude. Um, if any listeners from the one P versus two P podcast, uh, came back over to check out the rest of the show. And this is the first time you've ever been here. Welcome. Hello. Uh, the rest of the show is pretty much going to be like normal. Uh, instead of having intelligent discussions, we're just going <laughs> to bitch and moan about games for, uh, how long have we been recording an hour and hour and a half fish. Yeah. So for the next hour and a half, we're going to be all over the place. Um, almost without, without guidance. Just complaining about games and and occasionally making lewd jokes. Occasionally. <laughs> okay, r- regularly. <laughs> no, we're not that bad. We do have a reputation for digression, but it's not that bad most of the time. Sometimes it is, but usually not. But uh, enough about that. I guess I didn't really say. Do you want to do our other news topic? Yeah, let's and go then ahead. Go to games. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and get our other news topic and. Uh... Yeah, just make things even more of a mess for you to edit. <laughs> so we're we're almost completely ass backwards, <laughs> which is usual for us. It's just it isn't the show that does it, right? Well, I've already fixed all of the the topics so that they're in the right order. I think. Yeah, what's really going to be interesting is you getting all the timestamps correct. <laughs> I take I'll no do my responsibility best. for the timestamps actually being correct. I'm just passing them on. I'm uh, the press secretary. I'm just passing along the laws. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, I told you I was having a good day. Don't make me feel sad. <laughs> All no, right. My favorite Valve... thing to do is p- to poke you. And, poli- and politics are, is, you know, the easy thing. Yeah, yeah. So, news topic. Valve monitors absolutely need to be paid. Yeah, another one of our older topics on the docket, but... Uh, this is one that I, I'm really of two minds for because they poisoned the well when it came to paid mods on Steam with how they implemented them for Skyrim. It was just completely ridiculous. If you don't recall, they had, what was it, nine uh, different mods that they uh, debuted with, if I recall correctly. It, it was a very small number. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't, wasn't very many. And it wasn't even the most popular ones. It was like okay, here's the butters that actually answered the email first, or something like that. And there was very, very small mods that were very expensive for what they were. There was a, a sword that was a couple bucks. I mean, that just leaves a terrible, to- a terrible precedent for this. And I think yeah. that's where the major blowback was. If they did it for... The major content mods. I think there there would have been a lot of people you know, not having problems with it. I've technically bought mods myself by getting Aperture Tag. That is technically a mod that is paid for on the Steam store. So, yeah, the president is there, but it is a large mod. It is not a sword. So yeah. I completely understand uh, the blowback from it. Uh, trust me, I was part of it. I actually sent a couple emails in myself, partly due to the implementation of it. Just how they handled everything was absolutely terrible. Just yeah. from uh, the mod selection that they had originally, the fact that there it was a forced paid system. There, uh, if they had it where it was an optional pay, it would have been a lot better as well. And just how they were really dividing the mod community 
on top of everything else because a lot of bonding is collaboration between several groups. You'll have someone that figures out how to do something and then another person will take that idea or take the uh, how they handled it and apply it to something completely different. Uh, and of course, credit is given where credit is due. But it becomes a collaborative effort between those two. But if the person that figured out, let's say, uh, how to have it where you're holding the sword backwards, so you're bashing people with the handle of the sword. You know, completely uh, uh, asinine thing, I know. But, you know, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head that, you know, would be uh, odd. Right. Or uh, some sort of animation thing where uh, it, they were able to inject uh, a certain animation or a sequence of animations that was a lot more fluid than the Skyrim animation. So let's stick with Skyrim for now. And they found a particular way that made it more efficient. Then another modder may take that same system and apply it to their horse, uh, uh, their horseback riding mods. So their horses look more natural. And then that mod may be used uh, in uh, a carriage mod where uh, the uh, the game world has carriages going around uh, uh, in a circuit. And it's using the animations from the first mod that's in the second mod for a third mod. But once you enter, enter money into the equation where the first mod is a paid mod, it becomes piracy. And it breaks yeah. down a lot of the modding community. So I completely understand the blowback from the modding community as well, because it breaks down a lot of what the modding community is built on, really. Yeah, and a lot of the stories since then only focus on the sort of the complaining people being like, I don't want to pay for mods or whatever. But, I mean, they are ignoring. There was a huge blowback from the mod community because it didn't make any sense the way they, that completely they implemented them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still a complex issue, and I I do agree. I think that that modders should have there, there the should be a system capacity there or should... the ability to earn money for for what they're doing. But I think I don't know if they figured a out a system yet through Steam to uh, tip modders, not have them uh, sell swords for several dollars because that's. Well, they compared it to the monetization that they had in Team Fortress 2 and CSGO, and, well, Dota 2 as well, where they're all cosmetic. But the thing is, mods are generally not viewed as a cosmetic thing. Yes, there are cosmetic mods, but when I think of mods, I think of more content-oriented. And that's where things break down, is that the cosmetic sword being sold uh, next to a quest mod that adds several hours to, or tens of hours of questing content. It's a little of a disparity, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've given modders money before for, for mods that I really enjoyed. Um, I gave some money to the, I can't think of the name cause it's been so long <laughs> since I played KSP. It was one of the really big overhaul mods. It wasn't, it wasn't Ferrum. It added tons of parts and Beanon. Yeah, Beanon Aerospace. I I donated some money to those guys because I loved that mod. Used it extensively until uh, it didn't you know didn't work anymore after a, a Kerbal update, and then I stopped playing before they updated it to the next version. Which also but... brings up another issue that 
you know, these mods are not guaranteed to always work. Yeah. If you buy an expansion pack to uh, a game, let, let's uh, stick with Skyrim just because that's the precedent that they had. If you buy Dawnguard, you don't have to worry about a patch later that breaks that game or breaks that expansion. Right. But with a mod, you know, they may release a patch that, oh, well, suddenly this mod doesn't work. Uh, suddenly the animations are no longer as fluid as they were. Suddenly the sword is dropping through the world. And you can't really go in and fix it unless you have that specific knowledge. So you have to wait for the developer to fix it because any... Well, would it be a piracy for a paid mod to uh, be changed in a patch release? Because generally you can't really patch these mods. They would be a fixed version of the mod. I mean, there there are patches for mods, but they're generally for the more content-oriented mods, not for the swords or uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, the tools. I don't know. That would be interesting because that might be, you know, is the modder turning over some of their creative rights to it? Because if it's going to be able to be patched by the... huge can of worms. Yeah. If it's going to be able to be patched by the game developer, then does the mod creator lose some of their their creative uh, licensing over it if they have to turn over portions of it so they can be updated? That's interesting. Yeah, there's just so many questions that... (laughs) It's a minefield, really. I, I do like the the idea of the tipping system. Yeah, I mean, one of the main reasons a donation people... system through uh, the Steam Workshop would uh, uh, grant it wouldn't get nearly as much as if you're selling the uh, the mod outright, but it would be a lot more acceptable. Right, and that goes avoids a lot of the problems that they're having. Like, well, if I just tip this person for their work, that's different than. You know, paying for it, and then oh, how much goes to the publisher? How much goes to Steam? Yeah, what happens if the game gets that... updated and the mod gets broken? And I've paid for it. Like, how do you, you know? Yeah, which was something else that was just uh, <laughs> terrible about the old system was was it a Bethesda getting fifty percent? Then it Bethesda was... was getting a ton. Yeah, I can't remember the exact percentages. I know Bethesda was getting the lion share. Then uh, Valve was taking a good chunk as well. Then the modders were getting something like. 20 uh, 25% of the of the total uh buy so it was just you you were giving um pennies on the dollar yeah and valve could even restrict the tipping system a little bit like say instead of it being blank like you can tip 1 cent to i don't know $1000 they could do just tiers like do you want to tip a dollar $5 $10 $25 and then they have a little bit of control in that, and it makes it um, a bit more of a standardized giving platform, which makes it less um, less vulnerable to abuse. Because, I mean, people do abuse these tipping systems. You yeah. know, going back to the streaming conversation we had earlier, that's something that some streamers, big streamers, suffer from. You know, they'll receive these huge donations that someone is doing as some kind of like prank or to get publicity for themselves. And then they'll do a chargeback on their card or their PayPal yeah, account or whatever. Yeah, which actually costs them money in the end because the chargeback uh, costs money to go through. Right. And doing having a tiered system like that would make it a little bit more difficult to abuse it. I mean, someone still could. But, um, you know, if you could only donate, say, $25 at a time, then it would take a little while for someone to 
to do some kind of fiscal harm well, to another here's person. The thing, is that if you were doing it through Steam, you could also have it through the Steam wallet. That's very true. And that's very already true. charged uh, money. But uh, there's also the flip side of it where uh, one cent donations, uh, you don't get anything from that. <laughs> There's a yeah. There's a certain uh, threshold. Uh, it's usually about a dollar before the streamer really gets anything. Uh, well, using the Twitch example. Yeah, Steam takes uh, two cents or ten percent, whichever one's more. Yeah. Uh, so uh, at least that's how it works on their trading card system, and I'm sure they would do that on the tipping system. And honestly, yeah, I don't exactly. blame them. I don't blame them for that. It's their platform; they can. And two cents or ten percent is well, actually not is that, that actually, bad. Well, they would be actually hosting the mods as well, so I could understand them taking money for bandwidth. Granted, bandwidth is really expensive, as a lot of people say it is, but still, yeah. Well, bandwidth and drop and drop space, but both of which are things that aren't nearly as expensive as they're being charged for in uh, the tech industry. Usually, no. Especially not for companies like Valve, who and, would buy that stuff and in take, such large enough yeah, and quantity. End users. Yeah. That's the thing, is that what where you pay for bandwidth is uh, you know, just a huge markup compared to what the ISP is buying for that bandwidth, or you know, paying to get that bandwidth in the first place. I remember reading a, port, a report from, and this has been from several years ago, like four or five years ago, that uh, cell phone data was being charged to you at a thousand percent markup or text messages uh you know was uh just a huge huge markup as well yeah i mean that was several years ago it's probably different now and i'm sure it's still a massive markup but i don't know if it's more or less yeah of course but so i mean ultimately i agree i think that modders should be uh, should be paid or can should be allowed to be paid yeah, i'm not exactly sure a, what the best yeah, way is to be say a, that but a system put into place to allow modders to be paid it's the question of how valve does the paid mods 2.0 because that's really how? going to be the thing and also the game that they choose because if they choose a game that has an established mod base that's going to be a real issue <laughs> how many modders are supported by patreon ah uh, actually i'm not sure I know that there's some. I know that there's a group of modders that mods for City Skylines that is supported by Patreon. Uh, I, I'm just like I was browsing through some of, the, some of the comments on here, and people are referring to modders as a, a type of artist, and that got me thinking about Patreon. Which that's a very good point. Uh, modders are an, uh, it is an art form, but it's a derivative art form, so they can't real. That's the thing is that. For them to directly sell their uh, their work, they have to have the nod of the company that they're uh, that they're modding for, and most of the companies don't allow that. As a matter of fact, Valve uh, re- allowing something like Aperture Tag to happen is a rarity. Usually, any mods or uh, fan remixes or whatever you want to call it have to be a non-profit. And uh, sometimes, uh, or I should say most of the time, for the bigger things, that especially uh, the larger uh, fan recreations or fan versions of, you're not even allowed to take donations. 
I'm, yeah. I'm thinking more of like the, uh, the Metroid, uh, uh, several Metroid games have been out that, well, Nintendo's actually shut down, <laughs> but that's, that's a whole nother can of worms, really. Oh, we could uh, talk about Nintendo at some point. <laughs> Just the- it, so, so I'm browsing Patreon and it looks like there's a fair number of mod creators on here. Almost none of them have have supporters of any kind. Yeah, which, there's a few that well, do. Well, well, that's well, that's part of the problem is that where are they going to really say that they have the Patreon? Because doesn't Steam not allow a lot of links anymore? I don't know. Actually, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not sure on that. That's something that we would have to we'd have to fire up the workshop to be able to really uh, tell for sure and. Going through a lot of links with, <laughs> uh, to just find if there's a Patreon uh, link on any of these. I do know that they uh, don't allow link shortening anymore because that was getting uh, a lot of phishing attempts. Okay, so here's the biggest one I've seen so far. Someone named Kuches or Kuchaz. Kuchaz. Uh He's getting $286 per mod in there for Minecraft mods. Well, that's the uh, that's the big mods. Uh, yeah, uh, Minecraft is just crazy. Yeah, there's a couple of smaller ones here. Uh, there's actually quite a few people making like five to ten dollars on Patreon for modding, and then a couple in like I mean, the fifty dollar range. I could definitely see the allure of people selling their mods in a marketplace. I could definitely see that, but you have to make your mod worthwhile. It's not a hat. It's not cosmetic. That's the thing. It's the idea that mods are content and not cosmetic that I think a lot of people are going to have to get over if they are to buy the cosmetic mods. Yeah. Looks like some of these people are also actual game devs uh, making very small indie titles and mods are part of their... Portfolio? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, you know... Well, modding is also an entry uh, to game development in general, so a lot of mods are part of someone's portfolio. Yeah. I mean, there's there's tons of pages. I mean, I'm, page, I'm on page 22 right now, and, you know, the list just keeps going, so... I, there's, there's a few more there than I thought there would be, honestly, and some of them are doing pretty decently, especially if they're just doing this as a hobby or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd love to make... Two hundred and seventy-eight dollars uh, <laughs> for doing for, from my hobby. Yeah, someday, someday, maybe. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, but yeah, cool. I I, I just I think I just got is, curious about that. I, I think this is uh, you know kind of the agreeathon. It's just uh, there was such a blowback with how Valve handled it, handled it originally that people are skittish about uh valve handling it again uh, with you know good reason yeah and if they had better support it really comes down to steam support once again (laughs) if they just had more more boots on the ground they would have less problems and i think also that they industry culture of well i shouldn't say the industry culture but the corporate culture of valve it's one person's like yo this is a great idea 
and is able to have a small group in Valve implement it. Uh, well, let's put it this way. When uh, uh, this entire thing happened, Gaiman had no idea of the blowback um, going on. Yeah, because it happened so quickly, right? Yeah, well, he seemed uh, rather surprised about the entire system, to be honest, in the AMA I saw. If, I, if I'm if i recalling correctly. So it almost seemed like this uh, happened without his knowledge, or you know, it was like uh, it was implemented differently than how he expected it to be. Well, I mean, Valve is famous for having that flat leadership, whatever. Yeah, it's like yeah, people very can basically work on whatever they want. Yeah, very hands-off from the top. Uh, well, honestly, it's pretty much, it goes Gaben, then uh, all the different teams, and that's it. There's no real middle management going on, which sometimes works. Sometimes it uh, causes odd things to happen like this. Yeah. So uh, is there really anything else to talk about here? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm ready to go talk about video games. <laughs> oh, well, that would be a nice change of pace, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, so let's go talk about the games that we played this week. Yeah, only um, uh, two hours in. <laughs> honestly, I kind of like it. Um, uh, am I smelling I don't, a format change? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It's, it is refreshing, though, to to go through all of the stuff, and it's like, okay, now let's just chill and talk about games. <laughs> I don't know, that'd be maybe some audience, if we get some audience feedback this week, that would be interesting. Well, we'll have to chase the crickets out of the corner. <laughs> okay, so games we played. What'd you play this week, Rich? Uh, well, I have a couple games I played. Uh, the first one was Robot Soccer Challenge. This was my Sunday sampler. Essentially, uh, a combination of Rocket League and uh, a, a, with a BattleBot style, it's it's an interesting concept, and it, this is an early access title, by the way, and it's it definitely feels early access. There is an I did have fun with it. I should say that right off the bat, but it's a little clunky. It doesn't handle like you would expect. They set it up so that it handles like a remote control for a car, where it's controlled by the two analog sticks instead of your traditional driving controls where the left stick is your steering and your handling throttle and brake by the triggers. Doesn't do that. Uh, okay. The throttle is the left stick and steering is the right stick. So that took a little while to get used to, honestly, because I had to get rid of some muscle memory there. And the idea behind this is that it's essentially battle bots with Rocket League. And it's a concept I like. I just wish it was more fleshed out. And granted, I know I'm saying I wish it was more fleshed out for an early access title, but I don't think that they're going to do a lot with it. What I wanted was uh, to have it where my my dream game I came up with while I was playing this was having it where you could build your own bots in this Ooh, that'd uh, be fun in this arena. And have it be custom bots, uh, granted with some very, very strict restri- uh, uh, yeah, uh, limitations on them. So you can't build this absolutely huge thing and just put, park it in the goal and be done. You know, for a goalie. But have it where uh, the uh, 
uh, and I'm blanking on the name now, and I really like the game. Uh, it was a combat arena, or, or where uh, they had the third title that came out not too long ago for the series. Matter of fact, it's on our Patreon, or not our Patreon. It's on our uh, curator. Yeah, I know what game you're talking about, but I can't think of the name. <laughs> yeah, of it. it's a very generic title. That's the problem. Uh, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's like, oh, I really like that game. And then you forget about the title five minutes later because it's such a generic title. But have it where take that engine where you're creating the bots from essentially scratch uh, and have it with Rocket League. But oh, yeah. my, my big problems with this game was one, the sound aspects were very placeholder-ish. I hope that they're placeholder-ish at least because, well, let's put it this way. The soccer ball in this sounds like they're dropping a ping pong ball over the place. <laughs> now, if they were making it so that it looked like everything was miniature and it was like on a tabletop, then I could completely understand it. But yeah, this was not uh, that case. And also... Uh, beyond the controls, I actually had the ball get stuck a few times. One thing a uh, genius about how Rocket League builds their arenas is that there's no corners. Everything is right. very rounded in uh, Rocket League. The entire arena is just curves. So there's no corner to get caught on. And this, the corners are uh, cut off, but there's still that angle there. They have uh, uh, various... Uh, I guess you could call them hazards in the arena. You could have junk cars in the arena or a, a stack of pallets or a pillar. Those have little corners on them that the ball kept getting uh, stuck on. And a matter of fact, I got the ball stuck under the cars one time. <laughs> <laughs> and usually, I, well, I should say, uh, one time I couldn't get it out. Like there was like a few times that they would get stuck. The ball got stuck on the edge. And I was able to eventually pop it out with the bot. But there was one time that I got stuck under the cars with two minutes left in the game. <laughs> and it was just, uh, you know, wait for the timer to go out. Well, that kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is interesting, though. You get stuck under the car. That's... I don't know. In some ways, I'm like, oh, that's neat. So they're actually uh, objects placed on the field instead yeah. of being like part of the the backdrop. Yeah, but it shouldn't be able to be stuck under the car. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you, but... Well, we talked about uh, having a Rocket League arena where there's ramps and stuff on the arena floor. Yeah. And this is a sort of the extension of that where it's like a junkyard. It's an interesting concept. But, oh, and oh, the real sin of this game is local multiplayer only and single player. There's no online multiplayer. They are considering it, but they're not promising it. And yeah, that uh, this will be a fun land game, I'm sure. Uh, assuming that it gets fleshed out enough because it is a very shallow game and I have no idea the price and they didn't want to announce the price before the early access releases, which it still has like a day left or a day and a half. So it's one of those things that I'm playing and then I realize, oh, it's local multiplayer only. This is going to really hurt this particular game. Granted, I know 
multiplayer for indie games is always very mixed. Yeah. But it definitely would help this game. Cool. I added it to my to my wish list. It looks neat. <laughs> uh, any questions you have about it? I don't think so. I mean, you explained it fairly well. Like, I, you know, it looks neat. If it gets flushed out some more, yeah, they or were talking about having is on a, sale. They were talking about having a leveling system in the single player and having some sort of accessories that you could equip and things like that. I'd love to see them have it where you could equip different bots. Where because right now all the bots are exactly the same. They're essentially a uh, pair of tank treads with two prongs on the front and oh there is a, a, a like a pneumatic uh, ram that you could launch the ball with and there's two versions of it you could launch it forward or you can launch it up and launching it up feels a little cheap because there's no vertical mechanic in this game for the bots themselves so you pop the ball up over someone and there's nothing that they could do about it right but it's yeah. very rocket league-ish in that where they're they're allowing for the vertical element for what traditionally is a very two-dimensional game, but they're not building around the gameplay for it. So that is something that they need to take a look at. Yeah. I, you know, it looks neat. If it goes cheap enough or if they flush out the game and add some more stuff to it, um, I'd pick it up. Yeah, like I said, I had fun with it. It's shallow right now, but it's also an early access title. Yeah. And since I can't really talk about the price point on it, it's one of those things that I enjoyed it for what it is. I wish that there was more. I hope that they uh, you know, are actually able to do more. And, but for local uh, co-op or local multiplayer, I'm not sure how they handle... I think there's only two-player right now for co-op. I wasn't really able to test that because, you know, I typically do these games late at night and I don't have anyone around to help me with that anyway. You know, I don't have enough controllers to really be able to test it. So, that's also an issue. <laughs> right. But it could be fun. Uh, yeah, it looks like a fun game to sit and play with uh, some, some, some friends that come over or my kid. Or, yeah. or Katie for a little bit. It's like, hey, you want to play games for 15 or 20 minutes? <laughs> sure. Let's play a quick game of, of robot soccer. Yeah, and uh, I would say this is would be a good gateway drug to get people into Rocket League. Because this is essentially Rocket League Lite. Yeah. And the game is also a bit customizable on its time frame. You could uh, set the uh, game time for various time limits. Much like how you could do mutators in Rocket League. Right. Okay. And the, so, uh, and the other game oh, I spent a lot of time on this week uh, is RimWorld. I've been doing essentially some, uh, I, I guess, uh, research. Uh, call, uh, I did a research colony, and I kind of no life the game for two nights. <laughs> Just I loaded up at midnight, and then next thing I know, oh look, the sun's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, basically, I'm trying to improve generally my well my overall gameplay on this. And there are a lot of tutorials out there. There's a lot of little things. But the thing is that because I'm running a modded set, there's only so much I could do without actually sitting down and you know, putting the time into it. And the way I record, it doesn't really, uh, it's not really conducive to it. So I spent a lot of time working with RimWorld and working particularly on my defenses. Because that's been a real issue for me. It's just 
how to set up defenses to repel certain uh, types of threats, particularly mechanical threats. And I think I may have finally cracked that uh, nut. Nice. I'm not sure if I want to spoil too much about that, though, because it is an ongoing series. But I've also been working on uh, various, you know, what researchers does what, because sometimes they're not quite as clear. And I'm also working on just my general order of research, you know, what to work on first and what gives the most benefit, because sometimes it's not quite as clear and sometimes things aren't as useful as you would may think. I'm not researching for a new bod set just yet. The series is ongoing still. As a matter of fact, I have about a week and a half of uh, uh, of it in the can still. <laughs> so uh, that's still ongoing. Uh, the current playthrough. Are you going to add Taylor now? Uh, if he wants to, I, I'm not going to add him against his will. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because terrible things tend to happen to people there <laughs> on my name list. I, I kind of had that epiphany, you know, uh, I found an old copy of the name list, you know, with a bunch of names crossed off. It's like, if someone came in here, they would think I'm a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of like crazy stalker or <laughs> rapist or something. They could go a lot of ways with that. Oh, well, you took it a very uh, dark route then. I was just killing them. <laughs> you know, there was actually a mod, uh, a rape mod that was taken down off of uh, the uh, RimWorld Nexus uh, just this last week. Somebody actually added that. Uh, interesting. Yeah, well, it was like, okay, this is an interesting mod. Interesting mod. Okay, it adds that. That's interesting. And then I got to the point of, uh, to the part where they included prisoner rape. It's like, oh, this is not going to stay on the Nexus. <laughs> Because I'm constantly looking for new things to add to the mod list. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm trying to make it so that outside of things like combat realism, I try to go as kind of vanilla as possible. You know, things that fit with the mod or fit with the game. And a lot of what's out there uh, kind of breaks the feel of what I'm going for. So it yeah. takes me a lot of research to find uh, particular mods that I like. And sometimes I get mods that are, you know, not ready for prime time whenever I find them. So I, you know, uh, store them away. If you go to my, I'm not sure if you're able to view my favorites on the workshop, but if you do, there's pages and pages and pages of mods that I'm watching. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know actually if I can, can I do that? Yeah, RimWorld is a, a big ongoing project for me and it's actually starting to pay off on the YouTube channel. I've gotten a few views on it and it's gotten to the point where the, as the videos come out, I'm uh, picking up views. It's not just the, uh, you know, the passers by over the, over the point. A matter of fact, I went to YouTube just now and the latest video, I believe just got a comment on it. (laughs) So it's, Actually, uh, feels pretty good to do that. Nice. See, that's RimWorld 23. I'm going to have to amend my uh, spam list because some of the uh, uh, shorter comments get caught by it. Right. Well, uh, you've 
talked before though about getting spam and stuff. Yeah, I I get uh, for a long time I got nothing but spam on my YouTube channel. That's why the spam whitelist is very um or I should say the blacklist, not the whitelist is a a different idea. The blacklist is a, a very very extensive file. <laughs> Let's put it this way. You put a uh, link in your comment, it goes to the spam folder instantly. Nice. I mean, most links, though, that show up on YouTube comments are... Yeah. Uh, check out my thing. Go here to win something cool or whatever, which is spam, so... Yeah, okay. I try to keep my channel spam-free, which also has the side effect of making it so that my community is a ghost town. That. <laughs> yeah. nope. Nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, you know. I, I leave it free reign. If the spammers want to come spam on my YouTube videos, more power to them. I just look at it this way. I'd much rather have an empty comment section than one that's full of spam and uh, just junk. To yeah. me, the empty comment section looks better. Yeah. That's fair. That is a very valid way to approach that situation. I'm just like, the more the merrier. You can spam all over the place. Wink. Well, I guess you can't keep out your own kind. <laughs> oh. All right. Is it my turn? Yeah, I think so. All right. So the first game on my list that I can talk about is Halo Wars 2. This game actually released, well, I guess it's yesterday now since it's technically, technically Wednesday. But, that's technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. Right. Um, so ultimately, uh, I kind of had this dilemma a few weeks ago. Like, would I buy Halo Wars 2, blah, Halo Wars 2 or For Honor? And uh, after reading a whole bunch of the reviews and stuff that came out after For Honor released. Yeah, I've been um, saying I a still, lot about the deck code on For Honor. Yeah, the net code's a, a mess. And the story, the single player campaign, most people are rating it as not very great. So... Oh, you mean the nine I mean, missions? Yeah. Actually, I think I mean, it's six per faction, not three, but it's very uh, short. Yeah, they, it's pretty short, uh, pretty tacked on, which I may still pick the game up at some point anyways on sale, but definitely not a new purchase. So that left Halo Wars 2, and because they had uh, um, content up before release, I got to check it, that out. When did when did Total Biscuit pay Put his WTF is uh, up quite a few days ago now. Well, over the well, week, well, it was over the weekend, I think. Yeah, right? well, Total Biscuit uh, is actually in the hospital right now, uh, getting his surgery. Well, so he had his surgery. Oh, he's already come through his surgery. Yeah, well, well uh, for recovery, I should say. Oh yeah, yeah. Jenna posted on or tweeted yeah. earlier yeah, that he was doing yeah, fine. Was keeping an eye on that. Yeah. Um. But so, anyways, he he put put up his WTF is of it over the weekend at some point. And uh, basically, it was more Halo Wars, which was pretty much all I wanted out of it. So I was like, sweet, I'll buy this. Uh, I've put about three hours into it so far. I didn't get a ton of time to play it because, I mean, you know, it's been out, only been out for like 24 hours. Unless you bought the special edition pre-order or whatever, and then you could play it early. But thou shalt not pre-order. So I didn't do that. Oh, so there's also for you today. Also, it was like 30 bucks more, and I was like, I'm not going to pay for a season pass and your digital whatever. Um, it's a really, really 
interesting game, but interesting in a good way, not interesting like, well, it's got some problems, but I like it. Overall, the game is good. Um, the biggest problems that would come with it would be from people who have a a pretty pretty wide RTS background. It's fairly simplified uh, to deal with the fact that it, it is intended for to be a console RTS that's been ported to PC. Um, so there's lots of little things in it, like the radial menus, and a lot of the hotkeys don't make any sense. Yeah, I um, saw that. You... I saw the radial menus and just how they were handling the hotkeys. And no, I'm not talking about Total Biscuit uh, spending 15 minutes on the uh, nuttiness that is the key rebound. But just how they handled everything in the base. It's like, nope. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how it was in Halo Wars 1. And and it's... Uh, I mean, that's how most console RTSs do it. Yeah, but here's uh, the I thing. I think here, here, Command here. & Conquer 3 pioneered that on console. Yeah, but here's the thing is that... They're not... They, they do not have crossplay on this. So they should have had at least a more PC user... Or PC centric uh ui for the pc version in my opinion well the pc ui is diff is different from the console ui i hooked in my controller and tested out both things it's not that bad really it's really not that bad it looks so i mean i understand it's not that bad honestly it's not uh the worst part about it is is that it does take up a sizable chunk of the screen but it's the type of rts that halo wars is it's it's slow it's i think that uh, that was going to be my big uh criticism of it is that you can't do really any quick action with it it's always multiple clicks for something i love that i love it being slow i'm i'm a turtle rts player so i don't do quick anything i just build my defenses and very slowly march my way across the map to kill you with my automated defense turrets so the fact that halo wars 2 is slow i like it and I, you know, I totally get that that might not be an RTS for you or a ton of people. You know, just different strokes for different folks. It's going to um, be interesting but, to see the sales of this on PC. It's got a pretty vibrant community, at least on launch day. I didn't have any problems finding matches because I only played a couple of story missions because those are very long. I was impressed at how long the first two story missions and the the cutscenes that go with them were. It was like an hour and a half for the two missions. In it, like, a good hour and a half. Not like I was bored out of my mind. Um, Not the Blizzard style of, okay, you need to uh, hold uh, the line for the next 30 minutes while the dropship comes in. No, yeah, no, it wasn't any of that. But I'll get to that in a minute. You know, I'm still kind of talking generally about the game. Um, So, yeah, if, I mean, if you're the sort of person that that stuff bothers, like, you know, that's what's for you. You know, like I said, different strokes for different folks. It's very functionable. Um, only occasionally is it like, oh, this is frustrating because I know it was designed for a controller and they didn't do a good job optimizing it for keyboard and mouse, which that's mostly just for the hotkeys that don't make any sense. Now I'm like, there's hotkeys to access stuff on. It's the different slots, right? Uh, Instead of the different buildings. Yeah. Instead of having hotkeys to quickly jump to a specific building, it pulls up a specific slot on the base. And if you don't remember what you put in which slot, and which slot is where because oh, wow. sometimes the bases are, or, are oriented differently on the map and so you get like confused in your mind if you don't remember then you're just pulling up the wrong buildings so I don't even I don't really even bother with that uh, I, I tried it a little bit but it was frustrating so I would just use the um, 
the hotkey, which just jumps your camera directly to your base, and then I interact with it with my mouse. Um, yeah, like I said, it feels so clunky compared also to the, what I'm used to. I think that's the problem is that I'm not a huge RTS player, but I do have expectations for the genre. And that's probably right. why I absolutely hated the last half of Brutal Legend. Yeah, I am a really big RTS player. I've played every Command & Conquer game that's ever existed in the RTS spectrum. I played the old Doom. I've played uh, several of the Star Wars RTSs, Age of Empires 2, like on and on and on and on. Uh, and I'm just, I'm not a fast player. I'm not a speed player. I'm very much a defensive, turtly type player. So I think that's why that this really doesn't bother me at all. Even if I wasn't a huge Halo fan, which definitely helps. Um, but it just, you know, it's fine with me because it's slow and I'm slow and I like that. <laughs> so you said it, not me. Uh, no, it's yeah. I, I'm very slow. I'm slow. I'm getting old. But, um, so yeah, that's the general gist. There is one button that I think is insanely stupid. Would you like to guess what button is the pause button? On on keyboard, uh, control shift tilde. No, but that that would be that might be more stupid. I don't know. The pause button is F ten. Okay. Uh huh. So I was I was trying to figure out how to quit a mission. I was like, oh, I'll just pause, hit escape, nothing happens. You hit escape. So like, okay. And, uh, it jumps you to the base. <laughs> Well, escape deselects all of your units, but then it doesn't do anything else when nothing is selected. It's like, okay, maybe it's P. Sometimes games still go with that, you know, P for pause. So P, nothing happens. M for menu, nothing happens. Then you start like, Googling. Well, I, I was like, well, I can't I can't go to the pause menu to see what the button is because I don't know what <laughs> button pulls up the pause menu. So I literally just started at, at es- escape and worked my way across the keyboard, and I hit F10 and the pause menu came up, and I was like, well, that's dumb. But, yeah, it's, so it, it in my opinion, it handles fine. Um, the the AI is actually very competent. Uh, and now, if you're someone who doesn't like this, if you're someone who doesn't want your units to not do anything that you don't tell them to do, you'll hate this. But the, the AI on your units is actually... I think operates fairly intelligently. It they'll they'll run away from combat if they're outnumbered or if they're yeah, starting to die. I don't like. I like it. I like that because that, that's just less micromanagement that I have to do. Well, the thing is, it's not so much the uh, lack of micromanagement. It's the more okay. Where the hell did my army go? They were right here because. If I recall correctly from uh, Total Biscuits video, because this is pretty much all I have experience with for Halo Wars is that video, there's no hold button. You could only garrison units in uh, specific points on the map. Yeah, there's no hold position button. That there's would no hold drive fire. Absolutely fucking bananas. See, in RTSs, I'm not someone who ever uses that anyways. The only thing that I miss is a, a move fire command. Doesn't um, all the units automatically do that? They do, um, but whenever they're on the move, uh, they don't attack enemies as intelligently as if enemies come up to them naturally. So with a move fire command, you can direct them to, in most RTSs, to kind of fire in one direction or another, or to focus fire on a target. But whenever they move, everyone just kind of shoots at whatever. So it's not as effective. 
I mean, I understand that, you know, having it where like, your units can move around on their own is a bit more realistic, but at the same time, it, it comes down to really realism versus gameplay. You know, what is more fun? Being able to predict that your units are going to fight to the last man or have it where you know, your warthogs turn tail and try to run whenever uh, yeah, the fight's not going their way. Usually warthogs try and run over stuff when they're about to die. Yeah. Well, that could just be me spamming the R key, which is the special, the unit special abilities, and for the warthogs, that's to run stuff over. I'm like, ah, kill it, kill it, kill it. But, um, but I, yeah, so the the units respond intelligently to things. For the most part, they do a good job taking care of stuff on their own. You can pretty much just say move across the map, and they'll they'll get the job done. Um, I think the, I, as the for, difference here, in our opinions, is I have uh, ex, uh, uh, expectation of it being a PC RTS and not a console RTS. Yeah. So I'm looking at this. I'm looking at all the uh, things built for console, and I'm thinking, wow. They re- they're, they really are fine. I guarantee if you got your hands on it, you might still be like, well, this kind of sucks, but... I think you'd kind of fall into the camp Total Biscuit was in because he was like, well, this, you know, kind of sucks, but it was designed for a console and it's, you know, it's functionable. I mean, that was kind of his thing. He's like, well, it's not for me, no, but I think it I'd is definitely functional. if I played it. I'd get pissed off at uh, handling the base and uninstall the game. <laughs> um, so, anyways, the, to focus on the more specific parts of the game, the story is incredible. Oh, my gosh. So... I was blown away, one, at um, how gorgeous the game is. For an RTS, it looks really good. Um, I know in Total Biscuit's video, he was like, eh, it doesn't look all that great. But in my opinion, I think it looks pretty good for an RTS. Excuse me. They do a lot of good work with lighting on the maps. And uh, particularly if you're a Halo fan, they there's a lot of... Uh, they nail the aesthetic, I think is the best way to say it. They nail the, the look and the feel of the Halo universe just perfectly um and then the cutscenes that they have normally i don't really care much for pre-rendered cutscenes. it's like nah we've been able to do really good pre-rendered cutscenes since since like the 90s but these are fantastic um have you seen any of the live action halo stuff no okay well it looks almost as good as that they put a lot of work into these into these cutscenes. and for someone like me who's a huge fan of both halo and storytelling and games um, it's wonderful to have like five or six minute cutscenes that uh, you're familiar with the blizzard cutscenes. Yeah. They, they're as good as the blizzard cutscenes, if not better. Well, that's quite the high mark actually. They're uh, the, really good. The big thing for me for cutscenes in games, particularly these days, I could understand it way back in the day is how the cutscene compares to the actual gameplay <laughs> because it's kind of jarring these days. Well, it was far more jarring back then, but it's kind of, it's, I would say even more jarring now because you expect the cutscene to be uh, kind of representative of the gameplay uh, graphics wise. Granted, back in the day when cloud was, you know, like 14 uh, polygons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then holding a sword that's like three. You know, you could, uh, understand that you know the cutscenes look different but having that uh, jarring effect now where you know suddenly everybody 
uh, has a lot more definition to them. They are a lot more detailed. Yeah, I mean, the cutscenes are night and day different, Just, but I mean, it's a, a real-time strategy. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a real-time strategy game that had cutscenes that were uh, using exclusively the sort of the RTS assets. I mean, Command & Conquer always uh, did live action. I would go Warcraft, actually. There are cutscenes in the storyline. They were using the game engine. Okay. I don't. With, I don't remember. It's been years since I played Warcraft. Well, at least in Warcraft Three, all the cutscenes were the uh, units moving around. But yeah, you know, that's a different thing. Yeah. So the but anyway, so the cutscenes are. I mean, they're Blizzard quality, if not better. Um, I haven't seen Blizzard's any of their most recent stuff. Well, I guess the the Overwatch stuff that they did. That's the most recent kind of. Yeah, I've seen a couple of the uh, Overwatch things. I haven't really watched for them all that much. Just because I honestly have no interest in Overwatch. They're uh, they're over- better than those. They yeah, really Overwatch, are better than those. Uh, I think my problem with Overwatch is twofold. One, I'm, I've played a lot of Team Fortress 2, so that style of shooter, I'd go back to Team Fortress 2. And also, it has a lot of MOBA elements, which uh, I just... Don't I don't the MOBA genre does not click for me. Yeah, but yeah, so so the cutscenes they're higher quality than those uh, Overwatch ones that they did. They they really are. Um, I think the last I was Overwatch blown I away was the one with Bastion. Yeah, which I, I was, was blown really, away. That was a really good uh, uh, CGI movie with Bastion. Yeah. So, aside from the cutscenes and the story mode, the missions that I've played so far, I've played the first three campaign missions, um, and they are, they're, they're different, each of them so far have been different, and they're, hmm, what's the best way to say it? They use some interesting gimmicks and um, mix things up, they use different elements from, for example, from like the multiplayer modes or whatever, to mix up the gameplay, they give you some interesting, unique objectives, uh, and on the second level, there's actually a boss fight and it's like a three stage boss fight that you would expect from like, you know, uh, an MMO or an oh, RPG or something. It was, it was really interesting. So yeah, the, the, you know, it's the second mission and it's kind of taking it easy on you, treating it like a tutorial. If you skip the tutorial, you know, that jazz. And uh, then it opens up and it's like, all right, go kill that guy's base. I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is standard RTS stuff. I'll go. You know, take over the map, kill that guy's base. I blow up his base, and then this portal opens up, and uh, he you uh, drops out of the portal. <laughs> <laughs> his name starts with a D. It's Divos, Divos, Devios. I'm you not 100 sure. But anyways, he like jumps out of the portal, and he's like, "You humans, I will kill you for doing all of this stuff." And so at first, you're just fighting him you're like he's a really thing. But so the first wave, you're just fighting him like he's a strong enemy, um, and he's got a shield. And when you take down his shield, he enters the second wave of, his, of the boss fight, and he calls in reinforcements and a capital ship strike that you have to avoid. And it's pretty much an instant kill on any of your units if they're caught in the blast radius. So you have to, and, and when it's going on, he's invincible. And so you have to kill his allies, avoid the capital ship strike, and then take down his second shield. Then once you take down his second shield. He calls in more reinforcements. Uh, the capital strike keeps coming, 
and then he gets a, a new special ability that will um it, it around him he creates like this laser field so you have to position your troops properly to avoid everything and take him out it, it was really interesting i was really surprised like oh wow this is a, a like a proper boss fight where you have to maneuver your units around and pay attention to what's going on boy blizzard's gonna be pissed <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um and then the third mission uh, uses a lot of the kind of blitz um mechanics from one of the multiplayer modes so you drop in units uh, i haven't beat it yet actually i saved and i had to quit um so i don't know if it'll have an interesting boss fight or not but i mean they set the bar really high early on uh for both gameplay value and mechanics and um uh, their storytelling potential. So I was thoroughly impressed and really happy. Um, you know, I, I would have liked the game regardless if it had just been more of Halo Wars 1. Cause I, you know, love Halo, love RTS, but they actually went and made a good game. Which is nice. Um, uh, I played a couple of skirmish modes. Uh, you get, how many different heroes are there? Seven? Six or seven different commanders that each have me. their own. Spe- <laughs> well, I was kind of talking out loud, um, but they each have their own special abilities and special units. And in the blitz mode, uh, they also get special cards. And there's daily challenges that give you XP. I have no idea what the level is for, but you have a level. Uh, I'm like level two or three. It doesn't. I don't know if it unlocks rewards or not. I haven't been to the Blitz mode to, to open up all my card packs and everything yet, so yeah, I don't know. Bit, I've heard some rumblings of possible pay-to-win on the Blitz mode. Um, I haven't really looked into it, though. I wasn't sure if we were going to be talking about this game uh, this week. Well, I mean, I haven't. I'll play Blitz mode some for next week. They've had some... Uh, the one game that I tried to play multiplayer with other people, I don't know if... if like, Well, I don't know if it uses peer-to-peer or... Uh, dedicated servers. I know that the, if you're playing it on console, you have dedicated servers, but I don't know if the PC users get access to the Microsoft servers. The game was really, really spotty. The connection was really spotty. So there was, it was lagging a lot. And I quit out because I couldn't be bothered with that. But Let's see. <clears throat> I'm uh, doing a quick search to see if they have uh, dedicated servers. There are people talking about how uh, Halo Wars 2 launches without competitive multiplayer ranking. Which, that could be a problem. Without competitive ranked multiplayer? Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, the ladder system. Oh, okay. Uh, at least that's what this article's saying, which is a bit troubling because yeah, then you're... Yeah, thrown into a pool with everyone, and then, you know, you could get curb stomped by a random guy. You could. And it, you, you could end I'm up with in a, in a, a game with Yolo, with Yolo Swaggins, who's been uh, the ne- the last 1,000 hours playing this game. Yeah, but I don't really care much for multiplayer. For, so I don't really care. I know it's terrible of me, but I just, like, just want to play my Halo single-player story and enjoy it. Eat it all up. Just gobble it all up. Mm, delicious story. But I'm really, really happy with my purchase. I'm really glad. Like I like I told you, like I watched uh, TV's WTF is, and I was like, okay, basically, it's more Halo Wars one at the very least, and that's all I wanted out of this game. So I will buy it and play it and love it. 
just because it's more Halo Wars. And then it turned out to be a really good game on top of that. Performance-wise, also, it's it's been good. I haven't... It's inconsistent, but it never drops below 60, except for pre-rendered cutscenes, which are 30. Which kind of sucks, but... What are you going to do about it? Pre-rendered. Can't, can't change the frame rate on it. Not with that attitude. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, the... Yeah, I'll go ahead and move on. So the next game that I played... <laughs> Uh, you remember, what was it last week? Executive Command? That yeah, I actually played a little bit of that. I found it very unrealistic. I wasn't able to uh, threaten Mexico. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so I played the other two of those, uh, Lawcraft and Argument Wars. Uh, Lawcraft... <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, those are just hilarious names. Lawcraft is... <sighs> I didn't like it as much. It's kind of a puzzle game. Um, so you choose uh, which uh, House of Congress you want to be in, the Senate or uh, the House. Uh, you create your congressperson, uh, and then you choose some, some things. You choose their political party. You choose a personal value, which is like what you primarily support, or like what's your primary thing that you're into. Um and then you're given uh, laws that you have to make happen. So, like, if you're... You might get a law that's about gun control. It's like a citizen wants you to, to do something to increase gun control. It's like, okay, I want to pass this gun control law. And there's different categories that have different things in them that you can add to the bill. Uh, and basically, you're just trying to put together the right things to get enough support to get the bill passed. Um, so you can make it as easy or as hard as you want. Basically, if you pick like a Democrat or Republican and you run with something that's very mainstream Democrat or Republican, Mm -hmm. you'll get a bunch of support in your party and it'll be easier to get people from the other side to agree by including just a couple of things into your bill that doesn't necessarily support your position, but aren't so far out there in left field. Or you can make it like impossible on yourself and play as a Democrat or Republican and try and <laughs> pass a bill that would be on the opposite side of the aisle. And then nobody in your party supports you, so you can't pass the bill. And I mean, it's really just a pretty simple puzzle game that's easy to figure out. Uh, nowhere near as good, in my opinion, as Executive Command. Uh, I passed like two or three bills and then passed one that was like really impossible or it should have been impossible, but I just went through and kind of broke the system. I was like, okay, I'll add this and this and this and this and this. And eventually I just got enough support by randomly clicking on stuff. And it was like (laughs) this really messed up bill that like required everybody to own guns. Uh, Like it was illegal to not own guns, but then you couldn't, uh, it it was also illegal to go to shooting ranges to practice with your guns (laughs) and like some other weird stuff. And it's like, uh, this is stupid. This wouldn't pass in the real world, but <laughs> so it is breakable. Um, so I mean, it's it's interesting if you want to just like you know check it out since I'm it's a free educational a game. In uh, that world, <laughs> <laughs> everybody has to own a gun, but nobody knows how to shoot it. Uh, in the end, they're just running at each other, clubbing each other with the guns. <laughs> yeah. Nope. There's Uh-oh. my kid very loudly. All right. Quick break. All right. Sounds good to me. 
Right. Okay. Where were we? Uh, I was getting ready to talk about. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. What? Uh, click on a link uh, for the Windows Store, and the Windows Store app pops up. It's like, hey, you uh, are looking for something on the Windows Store? Here, let me help. Let me get in the fucking way. Yeah, I hate the Windows Store. <clears throat> okay. Uh, um, I was about to talk about Argument Wars. So, Argument <laughs> Wars right. is the other one. Uh, again, maybe this, by the same people. This one is covering the uh, judicial branch of government. Um, and it has several uh, precedent-setting Supreme Court cases that have happened throughout the years. And you can choose to play as either the uh, plaintiff or the defendant. Uh, and depending on which case it is and which side, you know, that depends on which side of the art issue that you're arguing. Uh, and you have to win your case uh, by presenting the the proper arguments and evidence before uh, the Supreme Court. I have a feeling this is going to be very much of a puzzle game as well. No, it was very much like um, Ace Attorney, interestingly enough. Uh, they even have the whole objection thing that you can call. <laughs> and if you do it at the wrong time, the judge yells at you and takes points away from your score. But I didn't I didn't really like Argument Wars very much. It's it's very obtuse and it requires you to actually have a decent amount of knowledge uh, about the Constitution um, as well as uh, certain other law practices and precedents. Like it doesn't do a very good job teaching you things that you need to know. Mm. Um, and sure, I mean, you can go reference things and look stuff up that would help. But the whole point of the game is supposed to be, you know, educational and it's not a good teaching tool. It's it's an interesting enough game, and I mean, thankfully, I have got uh, a very, very uh, rudimentary understanding of law and a decent grasp on the Constitution, but... Well, you know, uh, with how things are going, you probably need that grasp. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> I love how you're ignoring me, poking you about it now. There's also certain points of it that just don't <laughs> control well. Uh, I don't know if it's just like poorly communicated to you what you're supposed to do or if the touch screen on my device is not working properly or what i mean i don't have problems with anything else i don't think my my phone was broken but have you tried defragging like, it <laughs> yeah yeah oh um, see you should never do that there's certain tools that you can use uh in in the game to help you out or that you have to put together properly in order to make a coherent argument and it's like, why won't this spin or switch around? Like, am I doing something wrong? And then it would seemingly at random work. It's like, okay, I don't know what I did. Let me just try and do that thing again. Oh, that didn't work. What is it? So, I don't know. It doesn't control very well. Or at least it didn't for me. I think it could be a fun game if they, if the first case that you did took a better job explaining things to you. Um, or if they just fixed the interface. I don't know what it is about it, but it just wasn't working properly. Which kind of sucks, because I really did like that Executive Command game. Yeah, I, well, I did play through uh, one time on the Executive Command. I, I found it interesting. I did find it that there, there was a very 
cut and draw, you know, what is right and what is wrong. But mm-hmm. it's more uh, geared towards teaching about the uh, the powers that the president has and what he could do more than anything else. Right. Did you play it on fast mode? No, I didn't play on fast mode yet, so maybe that's the problem I had. Yeah, when you play it on normal mode, you can get to things one at a time really easily. Uh, fast mode speeds up that process quite a bit, so you're dealing with multiple things at the same time a lot more often, and some of that stuff slips by you. The good old pocket veto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I found in fast mode I sent the Secretary of State to do a lot more things. Well, I sent him to do pretty much everything anyway. Uh, I took care of almost everything myself the first on my first playthrough. What's the point what of having your... the trained monkey if I can't send him out every so often to dance? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, but so yeah, those are all the games I played this week that I can talk about. I mean, um, I played If My Heart Had Wings, but it's not game Yeah, that's time. next week. And then I played Factorio, but a, a discussion that we had uh, about Game Club stuff that probably pertinent to talk about now since I just brought it up. Uh, so, rule of thumb, Game Club games that are on the the list we're not going to talk about. Or, or, at least, or at least talk in depth. I think that should be a more uh, sensible rule. You know, we can talk ab- about playing them somewhat. But you were really breaking down Factorio. Yeah. So, just going to dial it back a little bit. So, yeah. You, you, you sound so depressed on that. Now I feel like an ass. Well, my voice is also starting to go. I had... Uh, <laughs> yeah. After coming off of being sick, uh, a lot of talkie-talkie today between my phone interview and normal client stuff. And then now this. Uh, plus, you live in a house of disease. Yep. I took all my drugs, though, before we started, so... Shot yourself in the ass? Uh, I wish. <laughs> I would kill for another one of those steroid shots. Jesus, they are so wonderful. Easy there, Barry Bonds. I felt so good. I mean, I don't feel terrible now, but... My cough came back today because the steroid shot wore off, and that's also hurting my voice for sure. Thankfully, with judicious application of cough drops and uh, Dayquil and water and hot beverages, my throat has been fairly tame tonight, but it's definitely, uh, I can feel it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a sore throat tomorrow for sure. <laughs> Oh, so community corner. Yeah, let's breeze through that. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, oh look, crickets. Uh, mail is empty. Uh, the question of the week. I'm basically taking what little tweets we had uh, and putting them there because they were kind of uh, related. But oh, yeah, we didn't have a lot of interaction this week, so I think we're going to have to go poke the audience at some point. <laughs> Let Groove out of the crate. <laughs> yeah, Groove. Get out of the crate. Write to us. Well, uh, let's move swiftly on to the question of the week. Uh, what were your thoughts on Steam Direct? And we didn't have any, well, if you're pardon the term phrase, direct answers on that. But we did have a 
uh, Chemis and Groove having a little bit of discussion uh, uh, that was related to it, so I'm just going to mix the tweets in there and be done with it. Uh, okay. Chemis, uh, listening to Co-Optional, apparently there was already a $100 uh, per game fee on Greenlight, so they're actually loosening control, which uh, we didn't really mention, but it's been one of the things that, that the Greenlight fee is the bottom of the barrel for where they're uh, the window of where they're thinking about having the fee for Steam Direct. Yeah, I could have swore that I mentioned it last I, I, week. Maybe I, I did. I don't recall mention, uh, it being mentioned, but okay. uh, the uh, podcast recordings tend to turn to a blur. That's very true. Most of the time during the podcast recording, it's like, didn't we talk about this at the beginning of the show? <laughs> uh, Groove, I honestly can't tell. Whether you also listen to co-optional or you're just taking the piss right now. <laughs> Camera. Uh, oh, uh, I accidentally copied the same thing twice. Never mind. That was a mistake on my part, trying to get things done early. So let me go to Twitter real quick. <laughs> Whoops. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Yeah, sorry about that. I tried to get things done early and uh, was reading the uh, the news articles at the same time. So uh, it was chemist that uh, said, honestly, I can't tell uh, whether you've also listened to co-optional or taking the piss right now. And uh, Groove said, I actually thought they uh, would uh, go to for 5,000, which, yeah, uh, Groove was asking, uh, aren't they uh, going to change that to 5,000 for the uh, Steam Direct? And, that's the upper end. That's the thing is that it's a window between 100 and 5,000. That's a hell of a window. <laughs> yeah, that's a big window. The thing that, and you know, everybody, or not everybody, but many news sites and things latched onto the $5,000 number. But yeah. unless that's changed in the last day or so, there's been no confirmation on what the number's going to be. Yeah, sorry guys about getting the tweets wrong, but oh well. Uh, do you expect me to have the community corner be perfect? I mean, really? It's me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's really. They they kept talking about five thousand, five thousand, five thousand, and I think that's where a lot of the fear of Steam Direct uh, shutting out all the small guys, all the you know one man passion projects is coming from. And I, I do understand, you know, putting a hundred dollars into Steam to uh, get on as well is not, you know. A, a cheap thing for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, I would definitely make me have pause if I had a game to put up. But at the same time, uh, there there needs to be some sort of roadblock here because they are just opening the floodgates. But I don't think them having a monetary roadblock is a wise move. I think there has to be something else. And the problem is, I'm not sure what. Mostly yeah. because all my... Solutions require Valve to actually get off their ass. Yeah. Because honestly, it just sounds like 95% of the system is going to be automated. And it's just going to be an intern somewhere seeing that the papers are in order. Papers, please. <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, uh, no, no, they're just going to rig up papers, please. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> go <laughs> it's going to be a mod for papers, please. You're uh, checking the, the Steam applications. 
Uh, now somebody needs to do that. We can name it Gaben, please. <laughs> Gotta say it all sassy. Gaben, please. Girl. Girl, let me tell you. Please. All right. Right. That's about, about all I got in me. No, I think you got a lot more in you right now. Well, maybe. Wink. Oh, my. Uh, anyway, if you wish to contribute to the Community Corner, and I'm actually remembering to do the proper outro when you're not jumping in and moving us quickly along to the next section. Uh, if you wish to email us, you can find us at vglpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us vglpodcast on Twitter. And... You do not have to send in voicemails. Granted, we didn't have any to really play this week, unless something that got caught in the spam filter, of course. But uh, we do read text messages. Yes, we do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. You okay over there? You dying? Yep. No, I'm dying, for <laughs> sure. Oh, yes, you are. So, are we going to do the thing that we talked about? We're at about two forty on my timer. Uh, I don't know. Let's do it as a test run. Do what? uh, Let's do it as a test run. Okay. So we're going to run through the discovery queue, one of uh, one discovery queue for each of us, and see what comes out because that actually turned out to be somewhat interesting, just because of. Our library sizes and our wish list sizes. Yep. So we're just going to go through our discovery queue and we're only going to pipe up if we see something that's like looks really awesome or truly terrible or something like that. Yeah. So I immediately get a bubble game. <laughs> I a hunting game. Uh, I think I know the uh, the game that you got, and it's actually something that I, I have a soft spot for uh, uh, sports games and hunting games like that. Granted, I'm terrible at them, and I never spend enough time with them. Uh, here is what is this? It, okay, this is from Tiny Build, which um yeah they're they. Do uh, odd things to begin with. I'm going to send you guts and glory. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. Did you just get it? It was on my wish list or on my discovery queue as well. Yeah. This looks like basically uh, a mixture of goat simulator ish uh, action and just an open world physics sandbox. This looks stupid. A game about a father and son riding their bicycle through obstacle courses of death and other fun family experiences. Which means it's going to be all over YouTube. I mean, just look at the GIFs on the uh, store page. It, it's pretty much YouTube bait, the game. Yep. And that's probably why it's going to be popular. I mean, granted, Tiny Build is known for their quirky games, and I've had a lot of problems uh, with Tiny Build games overall. Just uh, Not that they're technically bad. It's just they're often... Uh, there's always been some sort of design decision that I've always found questionable. So it looks like it's going to be that sort of thing for this one as well. But yeah, if 
you're into the goat simulator style of game well there you go i guess yeah there you go i guess not (laughs) interested (laughs) mark that is not interested and move on well let's just put it this way i am going to be signing up for a review copy of that if it's available yeah sure i'd play it for free but (laughs) i'm not gonna buy it Oh, I need to uh, turn off the sound. A couple of non-interesting games. Three. Mm. Yeah, this is going to have a lot of you editing out uh, just dead air, I think. Yeah. Oh, what getting, is this? I'm getting a lot of ones with mixed results or mixed reviews. He- Heberiki March Red Army Girls Brigade. Oh, this is a God. visual novel. Oh boy, here we about go. Russian army girls with big boobs. <laughs> um and then it has it looks like advanced wars style uh turn-based strategy battles. Okay. Uh you going to just drop a link uh, I was going to say let me just give you the link. Uh let's see. There you go. Oh, that girl's topless. But she it's okay. She's got suspenders covering her nipples. Of course it is. Uh well, English language not supported. That's that's okay. <laughs> Add to wish list. Uh you don't care, do you? And be sure to add it to the show notes. Yep. This is interesting. I mean, it's dumb, totally dumb, but interesting. Yeah, let's. Well, I got. Oh, it's free to play. Free to play. Uh, oh God, I'm downloading this right now. Oh uh, well, I got a Warhammer game, Warhammer 40k uh, Sanctus Reach, uh, rated very positive actually, which is actually a bit of a rarity for Warhammer. The Warhammer games are all over the place, uh, quality yeah. wise. So. Seeing something rated very positively and an RTS at that. Let's see, when did this come out? This came out uh, actually very recently. <laughs> this came out in Jan- uh, January 19th of uh, this year. I think I remember TB talking about it on... Yeah, I think so. I th- one think of the last was, couple of co-optionals. Uh, was this one of the ones that he was praising? Or? I think this was the one that he liked. And then the one that came out for mobile was the one that he hated and it had a stupid soundtrack if I remember properly yeah I, I remember uh, 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 listening to that podcast and, and here's the thing is that I listen to podcasts at 1.25 speed and usually I don't have music podcasts uh, and ever, occasionally I'll have one but then I'll turn off the speed up whatever that sounded like to Total Biscuit it sounded even weirder to me because I listened to it spread out. It's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> but then again, I also got through the torture a lot quicker. So there you go. But this actually doesn't look bad. I, granted, I have no idea about this particular game. And uh, the only experience I have with the Warhammer 40k universe in the RTS genre is Dawn of, the, the, the Dawn of War series. Which is a very different beast. Well, I should say... I, I have played Dawn of War 2, which is more squad-based. 
And I have a version of Dawn of War 1, which is a more traditional RTS, but I haven't played it. So, there you go. So, here's an interesting one. This is the last one on my list. Jump to Die. Oh, God. Um, It's a kind of pixel art style game. Uh, The description... Well, this description is very vague. Now you have a chance to operate your own company of suicide. But if you oh, go down and you read the description of the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it looks like you run a company where people pay you to commit suicide by jumping off your building. Oh, I'm getting so many bad uh, mobile ports. Oh, oh, here's one I can talk about. I got Blood Bowl Chaos Edition. Uh, uh, for those who don't know Blood Bowl is the the Warhammer universe again for some reason I got two Warhammer games but this is the fantasy Warhammer universe mixed with uh, essentially rugby they brand it as football but it's uh, essentially rugby there's no set plays or downs that you would think with uh, football and it's definitely not soccer yeah Uh, and and also a lot of death. It's basically the perfect football game for me if you've ever played with me in Rocket League. Or should I say Murder Ball. Murder. The, uh, there's a bunch of different races uh, and each race has their own specialty. There's elvish bullshit where the elves tend to be very agile and can uh, dodge in and out and uh, do passing plays a lot easier. Humans, which are more middle of the road. There's uh, dwarves that are very punchy and uh, uh, are able to take a lot of punishment. Lizard men who have kind of a combination of uh, uh, very agile units, but very slow, powerful units. And just really a lot of things in between all those. It's uh, Blood Bowl is a tough game to get into. There's a lot of various rules to learn and but it is, if you like board games and like complex board games, it is worth the time to get into Blood Bowl. Fancy. Well, yeah, my whole list is finished off, so. Well, I got one more remaining after this, and we'll see if it's worthwhile. Oh, and it would help if I tab to the proper thing, and... Huh. This is more up your alley, but I actually played the old version of this. Princess Maker Refine. Oh, I know. I know about Princess Maker. It's a, a, it's essentially a life game, a life simulator, mixed with a, 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 a RPG. A lot of different choices and different paths that you can take. You're raising your daughter to try to. Uh, make her a princess, essentially. And, it, like I said, it's life simulator where you're teaching your daughter uh, various skills and uh, uh, bringing up her stats, but you also send her out uh, into the world to do various things. I'm not sure how the remaster of it is, uh, for lack of a better term. It does look like it's all 4 by 3 resolution which may turn off some people. 
but it is rated very positively, so there is that. So it looks like it's not a complete uh, pile of shit, which is a high praise, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look like it completely sucks. So yeah, I've I seen the up, original. Yeah, I ended up oh, with four things off my queue. Looks like there's a Princess Maker 2. Yeah, there was a couple versions of Princess Maker back in the day. I'm not sure of which version this is from. If this is from the first one or uh, from the second one. Uh, but there, I'm looking at some of the reviews of it. And uh, this is basically a game about raising numbers to get certain endings based on those numbers. Well, it's a life game. I mean, that's the thing. I like that sort of thing. I've played it's, Long it's Live like, the Queen many times, which is basically that. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically uh, Long Live the Queen only the uh, uh, instead of having a very short time span. You're it's uh, essentially I, I I think about ten years of uh, life if memory serves me on the uh, first one because it's uh, you know, from when she uh, is a girl up to uh, adult, and then that's when you get your ending, if I recall correctly. It's been a long time since I played Princess Maker. And I never got particularly far in it, if I, if I also recall correctly. Because there's a lot of ways to fail. <laughs> or at least there used to be. Right. Cool. I put it on my wish list. I'll, I'll get to it one day. Yeah, one day. Maybe. 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 Well, uh... It's going to be interesting to see if we get any feedback for this section and see how much editing you do of this section. Because, Grant, this does require a lot more editing on your part, but we... Probably uh, not. Well, we uh, didn't have yeah. that much silence. Well, cutting out some of the... Uh, oh, that that looks terrible. That looks terrible. Uh, you know, try to tighten it up a little bit. Yeah. But, but uh, uh, any feedback on that section uh, would be greatly appreciated. Or, you know, should we just dump this idea and try to come up with something different? No, this was fun. We'll, uh, we should... <laughs> yeah, but if it's terrible to listen to, then, uh, yeah, that's something completely different. That's true. Audience feedback. Let us know. If you don't let us know, we'll just keep doing whatever. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it's time to start wrapping things up, and it's uh, the part where you go first. Indeed. Kind of... Sort of already did this way earlier, uh, but I guess I'll do it again. Um, if well, you wanna the, the Cliff Notes me, version. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow me on the YouTubes, you can do so by searching for Gaming Psychologist and giving me a sub. Uh, what's coming up on the channel this week? Uh, I actually have organized some um, Divinity stuff to go up, so I won't catch up to you, but there's like five or six episodes scheduled for or to go up soon, so... Yay for Divinity. Um, and that's about it. Aside from the podcast, still recovering a bit from my illness. Uh, looking forward to streaming tomorrow night, though, as long as my voice doesn't completely go. I don't think it will. It just yeah, feels like tomorrow's going to be a... Any idea what you want to play? Uh, I don't know. What do you want to play? I'm, uh, I've been a actually itching to get some more Rocket League with the guys. Okay. Rocket League it is. Um, I'll I'll post a tweet about it. 
early tomorrow, or maybe I'll set it up on TweetDeck before I go to bed. But uh, speaking of, of Rocket League and streaming, if you want to watch me stream games, join us for a stream. Uh, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. If you want to follow me on Twitter so that you can see all the things that I tweet about, mostly political, uh, here lately also about all of the diseases that have entered my household. Uh, uh, so are we at- still talking about the politics? Yes. <laughs> you can do so at JMA4707. So, sorry, but uh, I I have to share this mental image. I just had a picture of Alec Baldwin as Trump. He just uh, stands there, you know, like, makes a couple facial expressions. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yes, making a facial expression on an audio-only podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Welcome to the visual portion of the podcast. <laughs> Go watch Saturday Night Live, and then you'll have the visual portion. Yeah, no, I love, I mean, I would be okay with Alec Baldwin as Trump being here, but not <laughs> actual Trump. Um, what about, uh, the catheter cowboy? <laughs> I would love for the catheter cowboy to be here right now. We'd have a, 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 a jolly old time. <laughs> Talked about the nuclear triad. Yeah. And, and sorry, the clitoris. As, I, as I hit the mic. Uh, and last but not least, if you want to be friends with me on Steam, I accept all friend requests and trust that you're all really awesome people. So far, I have not been wrong to put my trust in that fact. My Steam username is jarthur4707. And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode you're coming from, the password for this week to tell him is Master Chef. <laughs> Master Chef. Nice pun. <laughs> you thought it was going to be something else, didn't you? <laughs> mm, maybe. Could have went a few different ways with that, but Master Chef was a good one. All right. No, what about I'll you, save buddy? the other ones for later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, my YouTube channel is pretty much uh, running as usual right now. The uh, first episode of Grow Up is out. Uh, not a lot of views on it, but then again, it is a Ubisoft game, and it's one of their indie Ubisoft games. So I, I actually like the indie side of Ubisoft. It's the triple A portion of Ubisoft that pisses me off. It's kind of weird on that, isn't it? <laughs> How yeah. Ubisoft is almost two different companies or two different publishers, I guess, for lack of a better term. But uh, Ubisoft smaller games, I actually like. As a matter of fact, this is the second in a row that I played. <laughs> Because remember, Valiant Hearts is from Ubisoft. Yeah. Game Valiant uh, Hearts. Hmm? I said, good game, Valiant Hearts. Yeah, I saw, the, I saw the ending coming a little bit too much, though, I think. Uh, it, it was telegraphed a little too much to me. Or maybe yep. I just went into it with the uh, with the proper expectations to you know, kind of take the punch out of it, which I think is more of the thing. I wasn't spoiled per se, but you know, I knew the how the war uh, goes and how the tone likely was going to go of the story. Uh, but let's see. Um, RimWorld is still uh, trekking along nicely, even though I'm doing a, a basically experimentation uh, colony uh, in single player and off. Uh, uh, well, I should say, uh, well, it's all single player, but you know, without uh, recording it. But that actually lets me focus more on the mechanics and learning various little things that I kind of overlooked or just hadn't noticed. 
So there's that. That's what the entire purpose of me spending some extra time with RimWorld, particularly my mod set, has been. So hopefully that improves the uh, gameplay on that front. And of course, Divinity, which I actually didn't get to render that. So I'm going to be quickly rendering that tonight to get out tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Having a bunch of fun with Divinity. We had some interesting things happened the last recording session. <laughs> yeah, that was fun, though. That yeah. was a good recording session. Yeah, we're going to have to try to get some episodes ahead, so whenever the House of Disease catches you again, you know, we're not scrambling. Yeah, when Katie's gone for that uh, two-week vacation, we should take some time to do so, some extra recording. Okay, so, so uh, right now the docket is uh, masturbate with your offhand. Fuck yep. everything in the house and divinity. Yep. Hopefully not all at the same time. Yep. Got it. Well, that's going to be an uh, interesting thing to explain to Katie later. <laughs> <laughs> Where have all these things come from? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> oh, and of course, well, quickly getting back on subject and uh, hopefully quickly away from that subject. Uh, the Sunday sampler is continuing uh, on. I have a couple candidates for this week, and they're a couple strange ones. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And of course, uh, this podcast appears there on Fridays at noon. You can find all that over at Gaming with Caffeine Rage, or find uh, me tweeting, uh, actually ranting this week, and actually putting stuff on Twitter <laughs> at Gaming of CR. Which swiftly runs us into our ending. You can uh, reach us at vglpodcast at gmail.com if you wish to contact us. Or the show's Twitter, vglpodcast. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash vglpodcast if you wish to uh, contribute to this madness monetarily and help pay the bills. And our RSS feed, if you're watching this on YouTube can be found at vglpodcast.podbean.com. And we're also on iTunes and Google Play. And hopefully Google Play updates this time when you yell at them. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at incomputech.com. And as always, this is lovely music starts to roll across my currently scratchy voice. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, you better not say lovely. Nope. Bye-bye now. Uh, see you next time. Bye-bye.